Guys, welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. I didn't announce this one because I wanted to surprise everyone. And I know for, for a while, even before I launched this podcast, people wanted me to do something about drugs and sport. But I'd never found a dance partner where I felt we could have the right conversation. And I didn't feel we could, we could give boxing fans what they needed to, to move forward with this. And what I'm trying to do is I wanna, I'm only ever going to do one episode, so this will be it. There'll be no follow-up episode. There'll be no part two. This will be it. So we want to just give you the definitive episode on drugs and boxing. So after this, you should be able to think for yourselves. Don't be sheep anymore and believe that the sport's clean. We're just going to have a discussion about what the doping is, how it happens, why people aren't getting caught, whatever it is we need to discuss. And I found the perfect dance partner. He's been in the media. He's done the, he's done the circuit but he's come to the place where his voice will truly be heard. So I just want to welcome Larry Olubamiwo to the podcast. And Larry, welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Terry. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on there. It's like I said, like, the aim of this episode is, is more to have the conversation and you know, just to discuss the drugs and sport. And what I really want to do initially is, is let, give the fans a bit of an understanding of the landscape of doping. Like, because I think people just go, yeah, he's on steroids, which isn't necessarily true. Now, you can, you can dope for years and never take a single steroid. That's not impossible. So there's, there's, it's just, I think by the end of this episode, we should be able to explain to people, it's like making a cocktail, you know. Depending on what it is you're trying to make, you might need different ingredients in different quantities. So it's just that building that understanding. And I think with you, you know, as I said earlier, it's the perfect this is the perfect dance partner. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you, 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 you explained that quite, quite, quite well. Um, you know, a lot of people just think steroids, whereas there is, you know, there, there's, you know, there's many anabolic agents apart from steroids. There's, there's you know, the peptide hormones, the growth hormones, um, the hormones that help your body make its own testosterone, you know, called HCG. Um, then you've got your, um, other peptide hormones like insulin. Um, you've got, uh, other peptide hormones that help you, uh, inc increase your stamina, i.e. EPO. Um, you've got your stimulants, um, although they, they are rarely used because obviously they're easily tested for. Um, there are, there, there, there's such, there's such a wide variety of, um, of uh, doping agents and as you said it all depends on what someone's looking for I mean even even in the anabolic agents even if, even if you look at anabolic steroids you've got anabolic steroids that will give you great bulk as well as strength you've got anabolic steroids that will give you a lot of strength but not a lot of bulk and then you've got uh, steroids specifically who will give you the strength and the stamina without the bulk, especially with the stamina. So, you know, if you're a heavyweight, for instance, you might want to pack on, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a new heavyweight or you're moving up from a weight to heavyweight, you might want to pack on a bit more size. So, you know, you might want to take a, an anabolic steroid, uh, i.e. like Dianabol or uh, an Apple or Anadrol, um, to increase your muscle mass as well as your strength. 
Uh, if you are a welterweight, so you're not looking to put on any muscle mass because you have to make weight, obviously, but you want to increase your strength, um, you would take uh, an anabolic steroid like uh, Anavar or Winstrol or Primabolin. So these, these agents will allow you to get strong without putting on too much weight. Um, if you are peaking for a fight and you don't want to put on any, or you, or you just want to increase your aggression for that fight, then you're looking at uh, an anabolic steroid like halotestin, which will not put any weight on you, but it'll get you really strong and really aggressive, really energetic for the fight. A lot of fight, a lot of fighters take halotestin, uh, not just in the boxing world, but in the MMA world as well. Um, so that 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 is just anabolic steroids. Um, that you know, and then and in that, in that field, you can see that there's a there's a variety of 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 agents that will be able to give you uh, different effects and depending really, on what you're looking for. And, it, and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because when you look at how boxers dope and how bodybuilders dope, actually the compounds that bodybuilders will laugh at and go, we don't need that. You actually realize in boxing and other sports, they love them. So you use the example of Primo there. If you remember, I think when they did the, the baseball scandal, what was surprising was how many baseball players were in Primo. I think they, Barry Bonds was accused of it and Alex Rodriguez, who were at the top yeah. of the sport. And yeah. so, you know, it's, it's, it's literally horses for courses. So the doping profile of a bodybuilder is different to a doping profile for a powerlifter. And you just, you, you know, to the common man, you'd think they'd be doing the same things. Just like yeah. the doping profile for a bodybuilder and the doping profile for a boxer are completely different because they need different things. Yeah, yeah. I would even go so far as to say a doping profile for a heavyweight boxer is going to be different for a doping profile for uh, a welterweight boxer because, again, they need different things. Even though they're in the same sport, uh, they, they do need different, different things. So it will be still quite different. Uh, but so, so you see, it's not, a, it's not a cookie cutter um, sort of a thing where you, you know, take this, take that amount, and that's it. You know, it, it, it's very specific, and this is why the guys at the top of any sport um, will employ, um, you know, professional uh, professionals like, i.e., doctors and chemists to um, get you know, get the right protocol for them uh, and uh, make sure that they can pass tests. And it's fascinating as well because if you look, if you look at how, how the sports evolved, I, I always like to go back in time. And, you know, yeah. if we go back to, like, the origins of doping as we know it, I know people can go back to the ancient Greeks and the herbs and stuff that they used to take before they'd wrestled each other, but I'm talking about more the, the modern age, like almost the manufactured doping. You know, yeah, that yeah. goes back to the Nazis, where the Nazis were trying to Nazis, get super yeah. soldiers. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, and so the research into testosterone and its benefits in terms of being able to create super soldiers starts there, along with, you know, compounds like the amphetamines and so forth. And yeah, yeah. So the Russians took that to another level and said, okay, but we need, we need something better than testosterone because we're getting a lot of the effects we don't want, i.e. the androgenic effects and not enough of the effects we do want i.e. the anabolic effects so the muscle building and the strength gains and yeah. the bone mineral density 
Because that's what people yeah. fail to realize that testosterone and its synthetic variants don't just build muscle. They act on a number of different pathways which end up with you being stronger. So it's not only going to affect muscle, it's going to affect your bones. It might even affect your, your red blood cell count. So you might actually find yeah. that an associated benefit of doping, even without wanting it, is your stamina increases. So yeah. it, And so what the Russians did is they started to play around with these variables and go, let's create something that gives us the anabolic effects we want and reduces the androgenic. And I always get these two mixed up. I think it was... Was it was that was it D-ball or Decker they came up with first? It was D-ball, I think. It might no, it was it was uh, it was probably D-ball because Diana Ball. Uh, no, sorry, it was probably Decker that they um, yeah. that they came up with because D-ball was actually made by the Americans. A Ciba guy, yeah, yeah, Doctor Z. So the, the whole the whole story and and that is fascinating in itself because um, when uh, Doctor Ziegler was in charge of the weight training, uh, the Olympic. U.S. Olympic weightlifting team. Um, I forgot what Olympics it was, but they got outclassed by the by the Soviet Union, basically. Is it fifty six or sixty? Yeah, yeah. So one of those, one of the, one of those two. So they basically got outclassed, and he took the the head coach of the Soviet Union team out for dinner or whatever, and was basically quizzing him about how they were able to. Um, literally destroy the US team. And apparently he got him so drunk that the guy then willfully came out with it and told him that they were using testosterone. So then Ziegler started experimenting with testosterone and he got some results, but he didn't get the results that he, he really wanted. And then that's when, as you said, he um, formed a partnership with Ziba, uh to uh, to make uh, Diana Ball. And so Dianable was literally people got people go on like these Germans were the first ones to uh, manufacture a, a, a medication just for performance enhancement. It was actually the Americans because Dianable was made specifically for sports enhancement, and then was put on the market later on for for other ailments. Um, but yeah, Dr. Ziegler um, came up with Dianable and gave it to the U.S. Uh, Olympic weightlifting team. And they they completely smashed it. <laughs> so uh, he actually he actually I've I've read that he actually um, regrets making Diana Ball because he said that a lot of the athletes were just taking in too much um, after a while, and they were getting some some were getting ill. Um, and uh, yeah, he 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 wishes he he never he'd never made it, but. It is what it is because so, we didn't, uh, but, sorry, go on. because we didn't understand things like liver toxicity back then it was just yeah exactly yeah. exactly i mean i mean liver, li even even i mean now it, it, it to be honest liver toxicity is is an overplayed thing um in in in, in the world of uh, anabolics um but yeah, it, it is a factor, and but it's easily remedied nowadays. But back then, obviously, yeah, they didn't they didn't really know too much about that. Um, but going back to what you were saying about um, Dalton before uh, Ziegler, when the Nazis were doing it, isn't it fascinating how um, apparently Hitler was known to have used testosterone and um, and uh, amphetamines as well as these troops, 
and they performed the Nazis performed massive, massive experiments with these substances on the um, prisoners of war, mainly the Jews uh, that they captured. And this, they, they kept vast and vast amounts of uh, information on this. And when the Allies eventually won the war, these scientists were actually taken in by the Soviets and the Americans they weren't. They weren't. They weren't um, put on trial for war crimes or anything. But because they had so much knowledge, they were taken in by them, and this is why you have the dolphin situation that you have now is actually an extension of that, which is fascinating to me. <laughs> it, 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 it is, and just on that point of you know them capturing the doctors, just this is almost an aside. I find it interesting that in every sports team, the doctors they have seem to have an endocrinology background. It's never just yeah. a standard GP. It is literally, yeah. we need someone who understands endocrinology, which I always find interesting in sports teams. But yeah, yeah. But that period of the 60s for me is interesting because I think that's when the notion of doping goes mainstream because those substances weren't illegal. There was no VADA, yeah. there was no WADA, there was no testing at this point. Yeah. So mm. this is when you're starting to see. So the bodybuilders are seeing what the weightlifters are doing and they're going, oh, okay, maybe we need to try using some of that. And so it starts to diffuse across other sports. So when people ask me the question, do I think people were doping in the 60s? I'm like, well, we Hell see yeah. it as doping. Yeah, we see it as doping. But back then, it, that was the equivalent of taking a teaspoonful of creatine. Do you see what I mean? It wasn't, exactly. it wasn't wrong. So if you exactly. knew it existed, why wouldn't you? Well, you hit them. You, 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 that's why you are the. You are. We are both the perfect dance partner for each other right now, <laughs> because this is this is what I try to explain to a lot of people um, when it when because because I get the question as you probably always uh, get as well. Do I think uh, a lot of great athletes in the past were doping? And it, as you just said. It's not. It probably wasn't. It, well, it wasn't seen as doping then because all you had to do was go to your doctor and ask for a prescription for it, and the doctor will write your prescription. Because even though it's not, it's not illegal. It's not illegal um, in this country and various other countries. In America, it is now. Nah, it's treated almost as bad as Class A drugs. But back then in America, it wasn't illegal at all. Um, in fact, it only became illegal in 1990 after the Ben Johnson scandal. So anabolic steroids. Um, in the 60s were, were very widely used. In fact, there's a story, in fact, not a story, it's actually known as fact because a lot of uh, NFL guys have actually admitted to it. Um, in the 60s, a lot of the NFL teams used to put, um, when, they, when they used to have camps with their teams, and obviously everyone woke up for breakfast, they would come to the breakfast table and they will see a huge bowl uh, with filled with dianable tablets. And that's where the nickname Breakfast of Champions came from. <laughs> that's where the nickname Breakfast of Champions came from because the NFL team had literally bowls of it on their breakfast table with their cereal, whatever they were eating. And yeah, they were, they were, they were told to dig in. So um, yeah, that's, that's where the Breakfast of Champions uh, moniker came, came, came into it. But yeah, so, you know, who, if, 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 you know, and as you said, it trickled down because a lot of bodybuilders were weightlifters at the time. I mean, bodybuilding is not 
like how it is now, um, with the freak show that it is now. A lot of bodybuilders back then were actually athletes, so there a lot of bodybuilders competed in weightlifting, competed in powerlifting. Even Arnold um, competed in in powerlifting and weightlifting. Um, so it, so so that that would have crossed over very easily. And then ov- obviously you had your um, your shot putters and discus throwers, uh, you know, um, involved in the weight train, weight weightlifting and powerlifting as well. So it would have trickled over into that. And then obviously you had some some sprinters who were extremely powerful, who were doing weight training or weightlifting, and it trickled down into that. So you could see like slowly, slowly but surely that there was this trickle down effect. And then obviously when athletes were using them and see and saw, and saw that they were effective, then they will carry on using them, pass it on to the next one, and pass it on to the next one. And that's how it became right. I mean, I remember reading in um. Uh, Charlie Francis's book, uh, Speed Trap, about how he got involved in um, in, in using substances at first um, in the late sixties and early early seventies, and it was a very similar story, you know. Um, and, uh, and 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 as you said before, these these uh, these drugs weren't tested for until seventy six, you know, and even then the testing was inadequate because it was on the day testing and we all know that anabolic steroids are training drugs. So it's not like a stimulant where you need to use it on the day of the actual competition to get effect, get the benefits of it. You anabolic steroids or, or peptide hormones are um, training drugs. So you need to train harder during a, a, a certain period of time to, to get its effects. And then you'll see the effects down the line in competition so yeah it's naive for anyone to think that any athlete during a period before it it was banned um, wasn't using them because because again like you just said it was just like using creatine and I think that 70s period is is what I call the gateway to the modern era because if you look at if you look at America for example that's when the NFL really exploded and became America's game, you know, you've got colour TV, you've got larger than life characters and these guys are, even in college I think they've all, you know, when you watch these documentaries the American football players admit that they were even taking stuff in college some were doing Mm -hmm. stuff in high school and it's that period in the 70s where in the US it became a thing like you just took steroids if you were around the the Gold's gym scene Venice Beach in the 70s around Arnold you just took them, even if you weren't a bodybuilder, you took them to look like Arnold and then in the mm. East, the Russians led the program. The East Germans took it to another level where they productionized the, the whole performance enhancement culture. So from actively selecting people who would be good athletes, getting them to breed in a lot of cases, and then with those offspring, starting to push them through the doping program. You know, the East, I think the East German doping program is probably, as cruel as it was, it's probably the best documented program in terms of PEDs and actually a lot of what they did formed the blueprint of what came afterwards. So is that period yeah. there from about 76 to 84 when it became yeah. really like industrialized and then obviously in America you had the guys with their underground, was it Dan Duchesne with the underground steroid yeah. handbook? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Still got a copy of that actually, yeah. <laughs> 
and and then that's yeah. when that's when it was accessible to a lot more people. Now you didn't have to be around the the few people that knew. You could be out in your own little part of the world experimenting. And so I think that almost takes us to that period in the eighties now where you had the addition of growth hormone. Like now, if you remember, the original source of growth hormone was cadavers. Like you took it out yeah. of dead bodies. Yeah. And so they had to stop that because people got infections from using Yeah, they people 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 were getting infected with uh, CJD, Corifel Jacobs disease, mad cow disease basically. Yeah. From using yeah. cadaverous growth hormone. So then, you know, the powers that be invested a lot of money in synthesizing that. And then that became the one yeah. that was interesting. And people shine the light on Carl Lewis, don't they, in that sense, where they say, Yeah, why is a grown man, you know, wearing braces all of a sudden? Braces, yeah. <laughs> uh, see, that's I, I know uh that's how I know you know your stuff. In fact, if you remember clearly, the whole Santa Monica track team all had braces. Him, Leroy Burrell, um, Dennis Mitchell, they all, even the, even the females, they all had braces. Yeah. <laughs> because they were early adopters of that growth hormone, which was, yeah. and it was, at that time, that was still theoretical. Well, if you just inject cadaverous growth hormone, you will get the benefits too. And, yeah. Uh, and then, so you get to that watershed point in terms of doping. Ben Johnson running 979 in the 1988 Olympics, which when we look back on it, you almost look and go, I don't believe anyone was clean in that race, you know, because history's gone on to show that. Because what was the one, two, three? It was Johnson, Lewis and Linford, wasn't it? With Dennis yeah, Mitchell for Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Dennis, yeah, I think Dennis Mitchell was, no, no, um, Calvin Smith was for Ah, yeah, Calvin Smith was the probably probably the only clean guy in there. Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah, that race that race has now been called the dirtiest race in history. Although I disagree with that because I, I think there's you know been a lot more dirtier races than that. But obviously, it's, it's well known because of what happened with uh, with Ben Johnson. And um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we we we, we now know. Carl Lewis was doping his, his you know, doping his eyeballs out. Um, Linford was doing his thing. Um, Patrick Stewart from Jamaica was doing his thing. Dennis Mitchell was doing his thing. He's been caught. You know, all all of those guys. I think apart from Calvin Smith, that's why I say probably isn't it isn't wasn't doping. But again, that doesn't mean anything if you haven't been caught. Um, all of the guys apart from Calvin Smith have been caught at some point doping. So. Oh, one of them also being Desai Williams, who was a training partner of um, Ben Johnson. Uh, so, yeah, that 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 race for me, I, I'll be honest with you. I remember watching that race when I was ten years old, and I, and I knew then I was going to take anabolic steroids because I I I, I remember when it, when when the scandal came out, um, and everyone in my school, and I was still in primary school, obviously by that time, um, was slating him, and I was the only one defending him. And and it's funny that I think back to it now, and I was thinking, wow, I actually defended Ben Johnson at that age. I, that 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 was a that that was a sign that I don't know what I was going to do in the future. Yeah, but, that, um, it's, a remi- it's a reminder of of that that scene in Goodfellas where they describe Jimmy Conway as the guy that cheered for the bad guy in the movies. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a very, that's a very good analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I didn't see him as the bad guy, you know what I mean? And, and obviously, history, history has shown that he wasn't the bad guy. He was doing just what everyone else was doing. Yeah. Um, 
you know. In fact, Carl Lewis comes out as as the worst person during that era, um, with his with his backbiting, his gossiping, just because he was on top, and then Ben Johnson came along and, and took him off his throne, and uh, he he then you know decided to to, to you know to badmouth and, and and slander the guy, you know. Um, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't. I've never liked Carl Lewis, to be honest with you. And I was so happy when the stuff that came out about him did come out and, you know, was documented. Um, Are these the failed tests know. that they covered up? Yeah, failed, yes, the failed, yeah. So the, in the uh, 84 Olympics, it was. Uh, because because uh, that was the first Olympics to turn a profit. It was in LA, obviously. Um, and obviously part of that was Carl Lewis going for his uh, four gold medals. Um, so that played a massive part in, in, in them turning a profit. Um, so obviously to not, to not derail that, uh, the Prince de Merode, who was the IOC, either IOC president or vice president or whatever at the time, he got the, um, a copy or, or the, the printout of the people who had failed tests, um, at the Olympics and he then proceeded to shred them. And that, that's not even taken into account what happened in the U.S. trials before those Olympics, <laughs> where a whole load of U.S. athletes failed, including Carl Lewis, and that was uh, um, swept under the carpet because obviously the U.S. was hosting the Olympics and they wanted um, they wanted a, a, a you know a, a good Olympics for themselves which will then go on to what I'm going to talk about later on in the 2012 Olympics. But anyway. <laughs> but, but, but one, um, say, one of the things the 88 Olympics did for me, and I look back on it now and I go, I think that was the point where between the sponsors, the governing bodies, whoever, maybe even the government, there was a thing that said, we cannot have anyone big failing again this publicly. And definitely yeah. not during the Olympics. I, I think you're right there. Because I think... What hurt Ben Johnson was that he wasn't from a big country, uh, like, athletically. Um, so, Carl Lewis was never going to get caught um, at that time. Linford was never going to get caught at that time um, because the UK and the US were, were athletically very big countries. They had a lot of influence. Um, there was, there was, there, there's many athletes from different uh, Eastern European countries that, would, that, that wouldn't be caught. Um, but Ben Johnson being from Canada, which, you know, wasn't a country of influence in the athletic, um, world, he was seen as the fall guy, you know, um, even if you, and in fact, if you read, um, speed trap, um, Charlie Francis does indicate that, um, they did have a chance to bribe someone to mess up the test. Uh, but in the end, the, the, the the, the person didn't want to do it for Ben Johnson, you know? Um, so, that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of shenanigans going on at that time, definitely. Now, definitely. now, now if, if you tie together all the threads we've discussed up until this point, the fact that by the 70s, doping was known across all sports, and, you know, we, that, that's not even something of debate anymore, and we go into the 80s yeah. now. Now you look at... The, the boxers who were popping at the time, your Tysons, your Haglers, your Hearns, your Ray Leonards, your Durans, it's, it's very difficult now to assume that they lived in a small, tiny bubble 
where they weren't touching anything. Exactly. It's almost ridiculous, exactly. isn't it, to say these guys who probably had the hardest job of anyone in sport were the guys that were like, oh, you guys are taking all that stuff and that's helping you perform better? Now we're just going to stay over here running up hills and, you know, hitting bags filled with sand. That's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to get super fit. <laughs> it seems ridiculous, yeah. now, doesn't it? it? Of course it is. Of course it is. And this, this, this is exactly what I say to people. Like, and, ob- and obviously, like you said, these same athletes, like your Sugar Ray Linners, your Hagglers, they're going to be mixing with other athletes, the sprinters, the, the you know, the, the, the shot putters, the whatevers. You know, they're going to be mixing around with them. They're going to be, in, in, some, in some instances, they'll be cross-training with them. So, why, why, why would they not think that that would that influence will jump into them? Or also, as we know, testing was literally non-existent or very, very lax at that time. So, and it's like what I say about the pay-per-view fighters now. What incentive do they have not to dope? I mean, it's, all the incentive is there. You're gonna dope. You're gonna. You're gonna. If you dope, you earn plenty of money to feed your family. And and this is see. And this is another thing that really annoys me. Like. People talk about, oh, yeah, you've got to do it clean. You've got to do it the right way. Do you think that most of these people that are getting involved in sport care about that? They're caring about providing a living for themselves and their families. And that's it. You know, the, re- the rest falls by the wayside. So when someone, uh, yeah, and you get your head is constantly, especially in the boxing world, oh, yeah, you've got to do it the right way. Yeah, we want to, we don't want to cheat. We don't, the person who's coming up the heart, you know, from, from the family who has no money, uh, could barely afford boxing gloves, they don't care about that. You know, the person, like even if you look at another, the person who can't afford athletic spikes to run on the track, they don't care about doing it the right way or doing it clean. They care about making money for themselves and their families to uplift themselves and their families and to, and to you know, to, to basically help themselves. So, you know, all, all, people need to really be realistic about things. And, and and then when you talk about, you know, these guys in the, in the 80s coming up, that's exactly what they're thinking. We need to make money for ourselves and our families. And if we take this stuff, it gives us a better chance to do that. Bottom line, it's, 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 as, it's as simple as that, you know. And people, people um, around the world uh, try and complicate this this issue but that that, that 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 is basically it in a nutshell it, and you have 100 percent right i think i just think it's it's harder not to dope and and we spoke we spoke off air about this and i'll go back to my days playing rugby and i remember when i knew i knew i was out of my depth and it was we're playing against a reasonably strong team in london and i was i was having drinks against the guy my opposite man and he was a south african guy and what he was saying to me was, he's like, hey, bruh, so what medicine do you take, huh? I'm like, what do you mean medicine? He goes, for training, what medicine do you take? I'm like, to be honest, mate, rice, tuna, and an occasional Nando's. <laughs> and he laughed, right? So, so he laughs and he goes, you cannot progress if you want to do this. You have to, you cannot be clean. His message to me was, you have to be taking something. So I asked him what he was taking and he was like, he was on, I think it was G, GHRP6. He was on a mild dose of tests. And he was like, it just takes the sting of training, you know. And I was just like, and I'm like, fucking hell, we ain't even getting paid to do this. 
And that's when you realize that this is A, it's everywhere, but B, it took me back to, because I grew up in Southern Africa, it took me back to rugby in the 80s. And like you'd, you'd get to watch some of the South African games and they always looked more violent than any of the other games, but they were banned mm-hmm. from playing rugby against other nations until apartheid came down. Yeah. For those first five years, the Springboks were crushing everyone. They were just stronger, mm. more intense, more aggressive. And it's only when you start to read the behind-the-scenes things, they were doing what the East Germans were doing. But they yeah. had that, that cloak of just being banned from athletics. South African doping was more sophisticated than British doping in the 80s. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. You know, that's- yeah, I, I, I have a contact who I think I told you off here um, who is regularly in South Africa and he has been for years and uh, with with athletes and so I knew about that and and you can you can see I mean when you look at when you look at South Africa as, as a nation um, they don't they don't when 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 they when they especially I'm speaking specifically in track and field when they produce they actually produce more best you know. What, what, what they they produce higher amount of quality athletes than you would think they're capable of, and and I think that is a testament to their doping program. Yeah, they don't you know? play around. Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. In fact, there were some substances which, and it still might be the case now. There were some substances, anabolic agents, which you couldn't get anywhere else but South Africa. <laughs> Uh, so you know uh, that 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 plays a part in it as well, um, and obviously being Africa and, and you've grown you've grown up there, regulations are not so tight over there. You can get pretty much what you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm Nigerian, obviously my parents are Nigerian. I've been back, so I know you can pretty much get what you want. Is that, that's not a problem. So um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it makes it. And you see, you, your story, you're not even getting paid, and people are doing that. So why, so why would people think that the guys who are getting paid aren't doing that? If the guys who are not getting paid are doing it. it that, that always perplexes me as to why people would believe something like that. Like it, 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 So obviously, to get to the level of getting paid, you have to go through those levels of not being paid and, and work your way up. And so if those guys are doing it to get their, their selves up there, why why would people assume that the people who are at that level and making money are not doing it? Because obviously they've had to come from the same level. I, don't, never, I, never, I never understood why people never logically think uh, thought about that. Do you know what it is, Larry? I think deep down, people are so emotionally invested in their favourite athlete, their favourite team, that their mindset is they're just supermen or super women, they're, they're freaks of nature. God has just given them something he didn't give me. That's what people want to believe. And I think what this podcast does, something like this does, what it does is it takes that idea and just puts a big boot through it and says, no, no, they are just like you. It's just that where you'd say no to drugs, they would say yes to drugs. Now, if you were to say yes to drugs and yes to the hell that training is going to be for you, you might be them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
No, no, I completely, I, com- I completely agree with that. I mean, it's, um, I think it's a lack of education as well, because, and I think, I, I, I think because a lot of people, again, even nowadays, are of the assumption that if you take performance-enhancing drugs, you don't have to train as hard. Whereas it's the complete opposite; you have to train harder to make use of these drugs. So I, I think that that stigma needs to needs to needs to go. That myth needs to needs to be um, extinguished uh, among amongst people in general. And I think a, a general um, understanding about performance enhancing drugs uh, needs 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 to happen for for a lot of people to, to drop that notion that oh you know, um, if you use drugs, you're a bad person. And because let's let's be honest, society uses drugs to enhance themselves every day. Like when people wake up in the morning, what's the first thing they do? They drink a coffee to wake them up. What, what are they doing there? They're taking a drug to enhance themselves. You know, um, if you know you've got a headache, you're going to go to work. You're going to take you're going to take an ibuprofen or a paracetamol. You're kind of enhancing yourself there. You know, um, people, people are are, are trying to put that world aside from their world when they do the exact same thing in their world and try and, 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 and and try and justify it, you know, with various excuses. So, um, you know, it's going to take people thinking logically and objectively about this issue to for it to really change. So I had a row with a trainer. Let me not name him because he still trains fighters now. And it was quite right. it, got, it got quite heated about the drug yeah. thing because yeah, because I've changed my view now. My view is actually fucking just let people do what they want. And so he got yeah. upset by that. So my question was: Are you upset that it's against the rules, or are you upset that it's morally wrong? And he was like, oh, it's just morally wrong. And I said, but we, we dope in every facet of our lives. We embellish our CVs to get the job. We put filters on our pictures to appear better than we actually are. We, we lie to the world so often. We deceive so often to get ahead because we understand that everything's competitive. Why would you deny an athlete that opportunity? It doesn't make sense to me. It, and it frustrates me when fans say things like this because fans are judges in their own cause. You know, they'll watch football and their player will die for a penalty and they'll go, yeah, that's good play, that's good play. And then they'll criticise mm. someone for taking testosterone and you go, Come on, man, you, can't, you can't have it always. Come on, man. W- yeah. What are we talking yeah. about here? Well, I, I brought this up in the, um, in the um, uh, barbershop uh, uh, interview that I did. Um, when when I mentioned that, you know, why why do people take you know call performance enhancing drugs cheating, but gamesmanship where you will let one fighter train twelve weeks for a fight, no problem, and you'll get another guy, his opponent, who you know you only give him two weeks notice. How is how is that not cheating? And how is that not dangerous for the fighter who hasn't trained? But yet people want to jump on this bandwagon and say, "Oh, uh, if you, it's going to take a death, and you know, and pick a death 
by someone using performance enhancing drugs for people to take this seriously and blah blah blah. Well, there's been many deaths. That 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 theory implies there hasn't been a death in boxing. There's been many deaths in boxing. So, so that that's nothing new. And on top of that, how many deaths have happened because one fighter has been allowed to train for a, a you know a good amount of time for a fight and another fighter hasn't? Isn't that cheating? But no one no one will bring that up at all. Do you, you see what I'm saying? And then I also I also make the point that. People like to say, again, there's a, there's a couple of boxers in particular that you probably know. I'm not going to mention their names. But they always like to say, oh, yeah, and as I said earlier, it's going to take a death, you know, by someone who's using performance-enhancing drugs to uh, for, some, for, for people to take this, uh, this issue uh, seriously. And I always, I always come to this, this argument about that. Well... You're talking about someone, okay, let's say someone uses testosterone and they get stronger and they have a, they have a boxing match and they, in, in, in the commission of that boxing match, the opponent gets killed, uh, dies. What's the difference between that and someone, a boxer using creatine, which we know increases strength. There's numerous scientific studies on creatine improving strength. I've used it myself. You've probably used it yourself. It works. We all know that. What's the difference between using testosterone and using te- using creatine, which is allowed to augment your strength, and then going into that ring and then causing the death of, of an opponent? So which, which which one is you know? So what, what what's the difference there? The- and 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 the people who always harp on about deaths in boxing, they can't they, they can't say anything about that. No. The only thing that they can say is. Oh well, one's allowed and one's not. Well, who who who's the judge of what's allowed and what's not? I mean, they're both made in the body. Testosterone's made in the body. Creatine's made in the body. So, again, what's the difference? I don't so think it, there it is. Always, yeah, I, I think there I think isn't. There isn't. Th- there th- isn't a difference. No, someone's arbitrarily drawn a line and said you can do this, but you can't do that, and that's always problematic because there's no real logic behind it. It's just. We got scared by testosterone, so we, we're going to ban it. Um, we got scared by GW1516, we're just going to ban it. Without actually yeah. trying to weigh it up against, well, does this give you more of an advantage than creatine would? Or does this give you more of an advantage than you know, a, a caffeine tablet would? No one ever really does that, and caffeine's not naturally occurring. But yeah. you're allowed to use it. It's, but you're allowed to use it. But, but saying that, funnily enough, you know, they did ban caffeine for a while, but because it's in so many um, everyday items, they have to reinstate it. Same thing with, um, well, not same thing, but they were actually, when creatine first came out and all the studies came out that it worked, they were actually going to ban creatine. But then when they realized that you could get the same amount of creatine if you could eat um, a shitload of red meat, then they realized, well, Who's, who's to stop someone saying that they just get red meat? They can't tell the difference between the red, the, the creatine in red meat and the creatine from a supplement. So there's no way for them to ban it. And if so you, it, you know, if you remember when when Wenger first came to Arsenal, there was a massive yeah, he deal. Creatine. Yeah, because he yeah. gave players creatine, yeah. and that was a back page headline. You know, Wenger yeah. doping his stars with creatine to boost performance. <laughs> and all these other managers were like, well, that can't be right. That's not fair. That's not fair. And I think Wenger's thing was, you know, you could go and buy it yourselves, right? 
Yeah. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> everyone's on it. But let's come back to football later because it's not just creatine in football. Oh, 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 yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but one of the things I did want to say about 88, I found this, this, this tidbit really interesting because I read one of the books about the East German doping program. So they took a Ben Johnson cycle from, it might have been 87 when he did the World Championships. And I think he ingested yeah. about... 2,600 milligrams of compounds, of anabolic compounds in that month, which, you know, that's about 650 a week or something like that, 650 milligrams a week, which isn't crazy. Well, by today's mm. standards, it's not crazy. But yeah. they, had a, they had an East German female, she might have been a javelin thrower, a shot putter, something Kriegler, who was on a bigger dose. So she was on 3,000 milligrams a month of yeah. anabolics. Uh, Turinabol and so forth and that's when you realise Jesus, like there was so little science behind what was happening at this point and that's yeah. why you're seeing a lot of the guys from from like the 70s and the 80s and actually it's coming into the 90s, a lot of these guys are having health issues some of them are passing away before their time because not much was known back then about you know, the downside of taking these excessive doses because people just thought more is always better yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, um, a, a lot of the women suffered from that East German uh, protocol because, uh, as you said, the, 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 the dosages that some of them got were equivalent to what a lot of the guys use nowadays, uh, especially it was, was specifically oral turinable, which is the, the state-sponsored uh, drug of choice that was made only by the East Germans. Um, in their company, Genofarm, I think it was. Um, and it ceased to be made as soon as the Iron Curtain came down. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I've, I've, read, I've read a lot of um, reports um, that have been translated um, into English um, about what they were doing. And some of the dosages that were, they were giving women was just ridiculous. But they did learn, and, and it, as, as you said earlier, the East German protocol has um, influenced how everyone dotes today. Because if you if you remember, the East German women were killing it, but the East German guys weren't doing much at all. And we've not we now know it's because oral terenable is not a very strong steroid. Like dianabol is a very strong steroid. Oral terenable is a derivative of dianabol. And it's not a very it's not a very androgenic steroid. It's not very strong, um, even on the anabolic rating. So it wasn't that strong. And we now know that as men, if you are going to take an anabolic steroid, you have to take enough to replace your own body's testosterone and androgenicity, uh, which alternable couldn't do. And obviously back then they didn't really know about that. But with women, there's no such thing. So any anabolic steroid you use on women will will work fantastically because they don't have the amount of testosterone that we do to begin with. So and they have hypersensitive receptors, like fe exactly. so fem female receptors will will go crazy over the smallest doses. I was talking to I was talking to a lady. She's a powerlifter. And she was yeah. saying to me, she does, she does a gram of test a year. Um, oh, oh, wow. Okay. That's it. Okay. Just a one gram of test a year. She's like, look, 
I don't need that much, about, about 20 milligrams a week, and I'm good. I might, I might kick it up if I, if I feel I've plateaued, but she was like, no, it gives me all the benefit I want, and think how mind-blowing that is. One gram yeah. of testosterone over a year. There's guys, there's guys taking three grams a week. Yeah. You know? <laughs> there's guys taking three grams a week, and she's on a gram a year. It just goes to show you how sensitive women are to these to these substances, you know. Um, as you said, they're, they're hypersensitive to it. They don't need a lot uh, because they don't have the uh, testosterone levels that we have. Um, so we, as men, have to take enough to um, to uh, overcompensate for the androgenicity of the testosterone that our body makes. Um, endogenously, so this is this. So, as as you said earlier, um, everyone in the world learned from the East German protocols. So we now know you can't just give uh, alterinable by itself to men and expect them their in, in, uh, their performance to improve. That's not going to happen. Whereas the women, they killed it. I mean, um, is it Marita Koch? Still holds the 400 meter women's world record. Yeah. <laughs> you know that was that. I think she did that in the 70s. She still uh, she still has that. You know, um, it, it's crazy to, to, to think of, of, of what they achieved, honestly. And it's not like everyone's been clean ever since. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it just it just show it just shows you. Um, well, again, look at Flo Jo's record. That's still there. Just shows you what she she was doing. Uh, obviously, she paid a price for it in the end, but. But but they question um, that record now, don't they? They they're trying to say the equipment was faulty. Oh faulted. yeah, now they yeah. But they they knew. Listen, I I had it on very good authority that because remember she quit right after she did all those all those two records. Yeah, she quit, and I was told that she was told to quit. You've had your your time. You 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 you've overdone it. Now you need to quit because if you remember clearly, her um was it her husband. Was uh, Al Bobby Joyner. Kersey? Was it Al Joyner? Oh, oh no, Al Joyner. Sorry, but they were all involved. Uh, Bob Kersey, you know, Al Joyner. They were all involved in the same training group. Yeah, and they were known to be involved in like growth hormone and obviously anabolics and stuff. Um, so obviously they they overdid it with her, you know, and uh, subsequently it led to um, dying because she wanted to make a comeback just before she died as well. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy to think of what they were doing at that time. It's crazy to, because I mean, like, like like we just said, the the, those, those world records, the 100 and 200 meter women's world records, they haven't even got near that. And, and, and remember, we're talking about the only, like the closest person that's got closest, closest to, uh, Flo Joe's record is, um, what's her name? Uh, she was also banned. Um, Marion Jones, and she, she she didn't even I mean she didn't even get nowhere near, but she got the closest to it, and she was doping. Yeah. So that, it makes you wonder what Flo Jo was doing on her day, you know, um, and and Marita Cox was doing in her day, because it's it's, it's yeah it's, it's just ridiculous that with all with all the knowledge and and the the drugs that have come out since then, that record hasn't been touched even to, even so far as to say. If Ben Johnson hadn't put up his hand and looked behind him ten meters before the line, 
he might have run very close to what Usain Bolt has run. You know? Yeah. Which would have been mind-blowing. I mean, the, the time he ran, ran was mind-blowing for that time. But even, you know, if he ran a 9.6, imagine that even up until now, that would have that would have stood, you know? Um, but look at it now, right? Nine, 9.79 now will win you a silver medal. If, yeah. if they do their testing properly, 979 will win you a silver medal now, or maybe even a gold. Yeah. That's how crazy yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, I... I one, one of the stories I did want to touch on about the East German side was one of the things they never talk about and one of the consequences of their doping program was because they were giving young girls, I think as young as 13, these sorts of doses, the number of abortions that happened in these East German sports schools were ridiculous because all they were doing was shagging like rabbits because everyone yeah. had these elevated testosterone levels that were just sneaking into each other's rooms and girls were getting pregnant. So one of the, the, un, the untold tragedies of the, the whole thing is the number of abortions that came as a result of you know, the doping program. Yeah, well, that, that still goes on to this day. I mean, I... Um... I I still I still keep in touch with quite a few athletes on the GB team and a couple of others on internationally, and that that every every Olympics it's it's it's, it's like that it's, it's it's like that so that, that yeah you're right but also uh, going back to that these German women a lot of them also had to um, undergo sex change operations because of uh, the amount of uh, Substances they were given as 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 literally kids, uh, like you said, you, you're talking about 13, 14 year old girls um, giving anabolic steroids um, in high dosages. Um, yeah, it it, it 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 ruined a lot of them. And and I and I've always, I've, I, you know, while I'm a proponent of athletes using performance enhancing drugs, I've never been a proponent of women touching anabolic steroids. Because there, there are, there's many other substances to use that won't involve you um, messing with your femininity, you know. Um, so I, I've never I've never been a proponent of, of women using anabolic steroids, but obviously it happens, and, and it's it's not going to stop now. So no, nah, it's the wild west yeah. now. It is the wild west. So like in in my rugby days. I remember we used to we used to have a name for some of these women. We used to call them the five milligram girls, because you knew they were on the the five milligram Anavar tablets. You know when you can just see, yeah, yeah. You you just see them, and you yeah. just be like, joking. She's a five milligram girl. I was like, yeah, I think she is. Yeah, because it's someone's just told them, look, you can do this, and you can look as ripped as me. In fact, this is actually becoming established dietary advice so it's not unusual on forums to see uh, on these all-female forums someone will just go i've got this thing called anova yeah, if you just take five five milligrams every other day it just strips everything off or they'll say something yeah. like yeah if you just put these you know these estrogen blockers in all the fat will fall off and you're just like you have no idea what you're talking about jesus yeah 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 and we're, you know we're not even talking about competitors no, we're talking like you said. We're just talking about women who just want to lose a bit of weight, put on a bit of muscle, and they're talking about using anavar. They're talking about messing with their femininity, using using literally a male hormone to lose a bit of weight or to put on a bit of put, 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 put a bit of muscle. Like it's, it's, I, I, I'm, 
I question the sanity of these women sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, it's different for men. I mean, you're just adding to your maleness. It's, it's, it's not, you know, as long as you don't overdo it, it can actually be, um, uh, increase your health benefits, you know? But with, with, with women, and especially women who don't compete, I, I, I like you said, I, I see that all over the forums. And, uh, I mean, there's so many other substances that they could use that wouldn't give them that, um, the, 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 you know, the, the androgenicity that anabolic steroids can give them. And, uh, they still, for whatever reason, uh, you know, choose choose to go that route. You know, when people when people, when the price of growth hormone drops to to what you can get peptides for now, just watch how this mm. world changes. Watch how this world changes, and there'll be there'll be growth hormone diets. There'll be all these sorts of crazy things. They're like you know, when you can get pharma grade Ig IGF LR three, and that's when when. They will become slimming drugs. I'm just waiting for the price level to become sensible. They will become the slimming drugs. It, and that's even worrying too because of obviously effects on how your body naturally produces insulin and so forth. It's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to a certain extent, that's already happened because the price has gone drastically down, especially if you get pharma grade from like China. Um, it, 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 it's gone drastically down. So... I've already, I mean, I already see, because, you know, a good in the 90s, you know, it was only the elite of the elite athletes in whatever sport um, that were using growth hormone. Now, even even the, the, every Tom, Dick and Harry who's just walking into the gym wants growth hormone. And they're getting it too, because it's that cheap now. You know, so it, it, it's good. But you're right, it's going to get to the point where it's even cheaper than what it is now. And it's just going to be, yeah, like you said, the HCG giant, now they're going to have the HGH diet. And yeah, I mean, you know, people in general are inherently lazy. And they feel, even though we know that it takes training with these drugs to get the benefits, um, they just think that if I if I take a little bit of this, um, I will get what I, I need from it without having to work too hard. And that's where the more is better mentality comes from. Because if, if a little bit helps them, then more is going to help them even more. And then it gets to the point where, you know, uh, diminishing returns and, 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 and health uh, is, is, is compromised. And so one of the things I wanted to say almost to, to box off the 80s is, by the 80s, we've got this, this mainstream. And, and it is, when you talk to to the older heads, the guys who were around in the 80s, especially the Americans, what they'll say is the average man on the street knew where to get steroids. And it was just it was just generally accepted. This is how you look big. This is how you get in shape. This is how you perform. You know, and at a sporting level, it's how you know people at like basketball players were able to do 82 game seasons because they had doctors that could, in real time, prescribe you these things. So even if it was an issue in terms of fading a test, you could say, well, is doctor prescribed? I have a condition. And, and, and one of the reasons we keep talking about athletics and boxing is that there were, there were two reasons. One, I think athletics has had more of a light shone on it, but I think the things learned in athletics will easily filter into boxing. So I think if the top athletes in 
the 100 metres were doping. I think the top boxers were doping. And I'm happy to be challenged on that. But whoever wants to raise that as an issue can do so. And I also think they're, they're the two purest sports because technology doesn't really help you. On the track, doesn't really help you. In the ring, it doesn't really help you. So you can track their progress over time. So that's why we're, that's why we're merging the two. And also, I think they're areas where we can have an informed conversation because I was an athletics buff growing up as well. So I think I can get yeah. to about 99, 2000 and I forget who all the people are after that. But it, yeah, so yeah. We, because we've looked at the Santa Monica Athletics Club, we know that they were a bit, you know, they were suspicious. The Al Joyner camp, definitely suspicious. Yeah. And then the next big camp, and if I'm wrong, feel free to correct me, was the John Smith camp. So I think that oh, was Quin- oh, Quincy that, Watts, that, Kevin Young. Ah, uh, Kevin Young. You had um, Akol Bolden, Morris Green. Yeah. Uh, oh, Tim yeah, Montgomery. That, that was, the... was he there? No, was, no, no. He was the uh, other. One, no, he? Tim Montgomery was uh, with the other guy who actually Victor Conte. Um, uh, no, yeah, yeah. He, he, well, he was. There was a coach who used to coach um, Trevor Graham. That's it, Trevor ah, Graham. Yeah. Trevor Graham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's the one that actually ended the Balco Labs because he got <laughs> jealous about what these people were taking, and he managed to get a sample, send it into the testers. And that's how they developed the test for an untestable drug. <laughs> but so the John Smith thing as well. And I can remember being a kid and I watched. Yeah. I watched, was Butch Reynolds part of that as well? No. Yeah. I was. Yeah. I think, I think he was. I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's always yeah. my benchmark for doping. I always say that that guy who's considered to be the most powerful 400 meter runner we've seen did. I think he did yeah. 43, 28 doping his eyes out in 1988. Yeah, and then yeah. Quincy Watts ran forty three fifty to win the gold medal in Barcelona. Yeah, which is still my yeah. favorite, my favorite run by any athlete ever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm a big Quincy Watts fan. And then you had Kevin Young yeah. with the well, like the Spider Man, yeah, eleven strike him. change down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. We, it was only him and Ed Moses that have ever done that. Yeah, and. Yeah. And you look at that, you, and that record still stands. They haven't come close still to that. Stands. Still stands. No one's gotten close to that. Exactly. You know, and, and this is, again, what we were talking about with uh, with the whole Flojo thing. Like, do, do, do people not think, you know, with, with the advancements in training methods and diet and supplementation, do people not think that people should have at least gotten close to that by now? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the obvious answer, you know, is staring them in the face, and they don't they don't want to to, to admit it. Yeah, yeah, and it's that four hundred that four hundred era. I always look at, and you know, it was heartbreaking when you're like, I think they were all doping. Quincy Watts, uh, when Butch Reynolds came back, obviously. Uh, mm. well, I'm going to put Michael Johnson in there because I suspect yeah. I can't say yeah. for a fact. I suspect because. That running style shouldn't be getting the results it does. Because if it was that effective, we'd all be running that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there yeah. was him. Who else was there? Uh, Antoine Maybank. Oh, geez. I'm yeah. Just, just yeah. digging out the classics at this point now. Yeah. Because I remember I remember one guy that I used to admire, but he wasn't around for too long. Um, Tyree Washington. Yes. He always used to wear the headband. Yes. Yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> was always number yeah, three man. in the 4x400 that's it yeah yeah 
Because because yeah. remember where the Brits were at this point, right? So you've got guys like Butch Reynolds running sub 44s for fun. Roger Black, Dave Grindley, Dwayne Ladeja mm. all struggling with 4450. Yeah, yeah. There was a clear second. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sure these Brit guys are taking something. They didn't look like they were, but they did. Oh, they were. They were. If you remember, I can't remember his name, but before Roger Black, there was another British guy who was actually like the top British guy. He was actually one of the best top ten in the world. It was Dave Brindley? And he got stunned. Wasn't it? No, it wasn't Brindley. He actually got stunned for, um, I forget his name because he hasn't come up in years, but he actually got stunned for, for trying to ship in a whole load of anabolic steroids from Mexico. Uh, oh, I wish I knew his name, but he actually went to prison, and oh. he, he he lifted the lid on what him and a whole load of athletes were doing. Um, oh, so it's not Roger Black. Yeah, it's not Dwayne Ledejo. No, it was it was before Roger Black's day. It, it it was before Roger Black's day. Um, oh, let me. Uh, I, I, I need to try and remember if I can. Um. We'll come back it, to that. That will bug me as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, uh, but yeah. Um, he 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 was he was like the best before Roger Black came on the scene. He was the best in Britain and obviously one of the best in the world. And he, he everyone thought he was clean. And then obviously when he got caught with uh, what he was doing in Mexico, and that, this was after he retired, um, then he came out and obviously said what he was doing. Uh, subsequently, while he was while he was competing, so again, it, you know, and and if he was doing it, and then Roger Black broke his British record, um, you know, it, you know, I, again, I don't understand why people was it David feel, Jenkins? That's it. That's the one. That's the one. Well done, you. I had to David that one Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> That's the I, I I haven't spoken to him about him about him in years. That's why I can't remember. But yeah, David Jenkins. That's the, so before Roger Black was on the scene, he was the number one four hundred meter guy, and uh, he he but he couldn't get again. He couldn't get close to the Americans, and he was running like sub forty five. He was running forty four, whatever. And uh, you know everyone thought he was clean. And then obviously what happened with the. Uh, whole smuggling thing happened, and then he came out, came on record, and and just admitted everything he was doing. But every, everyone seemed to have sweep that under the carpet, and was like, "Well, he's doing that, but the others weren't doing it," which was absolute nonsense. Yeah. Even the way Grindley came on the scene, like Grindley came out of nowhere. Yeah, you know what I mean. I I, I remember like there was you know the year before I'd never heard of him. And then all of a sudden, he's there breaking the British record. I'm like, what? Yeah, but he came out of nowhere. There was a race where Michael Johnson had gone, God knows how many races unbeaten, and it was in Oslo. I remember watching this on ITV. And David Grinley's just started running in the home straight. Michael Johnson's chilling. He's like, nah, I got this, man. This is nothing. And David Grinley's just started barreling down. And even Michael Johnson was like, what the hell? And Michael had to just kick it up a bit just to win that. <laughs> and then, then he disappeared. But he was always getting injured, if you remember. Like he would yeah, always be happy. Yeah. It, it those sorts of injuries where you almost have too much muscle for your skeleton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, that's another. You know, before growth hormone became mainstream, uh, the, 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 the a side effects of anabolic steroid use is because your muscles get very strong very quickly. 
obviously your muscles adapt very quickly for whatever work you give it, but the tendons don't adapt as quickly. So you always tend to get tendon ruptures, which is what this, which was the injuries that David Grindley always had. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of them, like Roger Black and uh, all of them had. So that was a very tell, that was a, a telltale sign of what they were doing at the time, because growth hormone hadn't 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 become mainstream at that at, at that point. So I think what we've done, like, and it's taken us an hour, but it's been good because I think what we've done for the audience is we've set the scene, right? Because I want people to know that because I want to I want to almost parallel the doping tale with your athletic career because I think you you kind of kick into gear around the late 90s anyway, and I think we've hit that point. So we've set yeah. the scene, I think we've set the scene well, where we've said, look, even by the end of the 90s, you have to accept that doping was everywhere. There, there's no yeah. sport that's immune from it at this point. And yeah. if you believe yeah. that, you can choose to believe it, but it's not a sensible opinion to hold. And, yeah. and you've got to then remember that at this point, the genie's out of the bottle. We know the what's, the how's, the where's, the when's. We know, we know everything now. So, yeah. so now we come to the late 90s and you, you're a young athlete and your sport of choice at this point was 100 metres, right? Yeah, 100, 200, occasionally 400, but yeah, 100, 200 was the main one. So who yeah. were your contemporaries running when you were coming up? So uh, Dwayne Chambers. Uh, I, was, I, I, I used to compete against Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne Chambers, but I say compete, but it, it wasn't very competitive because... Even though I was running 10-7 uh, uh, at the time as a junior, uh, which which is very respectable for 100 metres. And, you know, I tell the layperson, and they were like, wow, wow, you should be going to the Olympics. I'm like, yeah, but Green Chambers at that time was running 10-1, and he had the world junior record. And, and, and you know, people, I, I know you would know, but generally the general public doesn't realise that the difference between 10-1 and 10 Seven, even though it's only 0.6 of a second in 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 100 meters, that's a that's a world away. You'll never close that's that. That's a world away. Yeah, uh, that's if, a, I think you'll know this. If you're a 10.7 runner, you will never be sub 10. If you're a 10.1 runner, you will screw your you. You will have to be terrible not to be a sub 10. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's ruthless so, like that. Yeah. So even and, and and remember, I I was using stuff at that point, so I knew I wasn't going to make it as a top sprinter. I'd, I'd be a respectable sprinter, but I wasn't in it to be a respectable sprinter. So you know, um, yeah, I, I and 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 then I think I got in. Yeah, I did get injured very badly. I broke my hamstring uh, twice, and um, that's when I decided to make the switch to boxing. But but before that, I mean. During the off season, uh, the track off season, I used to go to the boxing gym with my brother and and train to keep fit. And they, I was always encouraged by the guys in the gym to um, uh, to to take it up. But obviously, my, my, my love at that time was, was sprinting. So it's only when I ripped my hamstring for the second time that I realised that. And, and remember, I'm, I'm in college at this time. I'm not working. Because um, I've got old school Nigerian parents who are like education, education, education. So um, I wasn't working. It cost so much to rehab my um, uh, my hamstring. Uh, I just thought, you know, I'm not getting the support. I need to move on to another sport. So, can I ask a question? Yeah. 
How did you get to the point where you started doping? So what, what was that journey like? Let, I almost want that, that journey from, from being a teenager who just ran and was reasonably quick to, to then becoming the guy that was like, this is what I have to take in order to get to the top. So for me, I was I was always fascinated, as I said to you earlier, I was always fascinated by by um, my performance enhancing drugs from a very young age. A very I was very curious about it from a very young age, and uh, I think from the ages uh, because I got involved uh, seriously with athletics from about the age of thirteen, um, and that's when I started training at the, at the uh, track uh, with a coach. And I've witnessed a few conversations between some 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 high level athletes, um, and uh, you know I probably wasn't supposed to hear those conversations. But uh, which it, club it was it? To, uh, so Harringay at first. Ah, okay. Was yeah, that where Tony Haringey Jarrett was New, from? Yes, New River. Yeah. Well remembered. Um, so that's where that's where I started off, and then I went to uh, Myland. Stadium to train because um, I moved coach, um, but yeah, I, I, I and that made me realise that you know doping was even amongst the um, the level below world class, and then obviously that the, the more you do the sport, um, the more you realise how widespread doping is, and then on top of that, I was doing my own research um, as you mentioned, Dan. Shane's book, I I got that, uh, I, 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 and I read that within with 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 glee, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, it kind of made me realize that yeah, if I want to do something in the sport, then I need to I need to I need to take these substances. Um, I also got the I don't know if you remember the World Anabolic Review ninety six. That's before my time. Right, right, but that was another. That was another. That was another um, book after Dan Duchesne's uh, book that really went in depth about doping and, and protocols and so on and so forth. So I managed to get these books, you know, do my do my research, and I think when I came to the age of eighteen, I was like, okay, I am going to do this now. Um, so then it took finding someone who was able to to supply me with with these substances um and and then yeah rest is history as they say <laughs> so is that through the athletics network that you found a supplier or did you have to find one for yourself it was through the athletics network yeah so basically um i don't want to mention any names because he's still a friend of mine to this day but uh, and i think i mentioned his name off air to you but um, the guy that supplied me, first of all, was the, was a guy that was supplying a lot of top athletes from all over the world. But he specifically uh, supplied, uh, do you remember Jason Livingston? Yes. That light-skinned yeah. guy, was he from Bath? No. Oh, that's no, Jason Gardner. Jason Gardner. Jason Livingston was a no-name sprinter who was running, I think, Ten five before the um, before the ninety two Olympic uh, trials, and then he pulled a ten oh eight out of his ass. 
<laughs> and then he was tested, and then he because he, he was on the team to go to the Olympics, and then he tested positive, obviously. So he didn't end up running in the Olympics, but he was down to go. So he went from ten five in one season to ten oh eight because he came second to Linford in the in the trials. Uh, in fact, he pushed Linford very again, like like you said about uh, Michael Johnson. Linford had to go some in the last ten meters to actually win that race. Uh, so yeah, the guy the guy that supplied him uh, supplied me. Ah, yeah, and yeah. And, and we're talking mid nineties, aren't we? Uh, mid to late 90s yes 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 we are yeah and so there's already a network in a sport that I think athletics was booming at the time but it was still you know it wasn't football it wasn't rugby it was just another it was another sport which was televised and and it's that point we make to people like this idea that drugs are this thing that are miles away from you not true in the right circles it's just there it's an open secret no one even pretends yeah yeah, because because the thing is, and and it, it, you know, it, it's more pervasive now. But the thing the thing is that is that most athletes will think that you're doing it as well. This is why it's called an open secret because even though it's not talked about in openly, like in the media, oh yeah, I'm using this and that. Most athletes know that other athletes are using, and if they do happen to get friendly with another athlete that conversation will come up at some point and then they will exchange, you know, what they're doing and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, this is, I mean, in a athletics, you see it with um, a lot of guys who change groups, change tra- training groups, you know. Um, this is why it's frowned upon, especially nowadays, because obviously you're taking the trade secrets to another group. Yeah. Um, but and, and the thing goes for boxing, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you, you're going from one coach to another, or you're going from one strength conditioner to another. Um, you're taking the trade secrets with you, you know. Um, it, well, it's one of the reasons why when Floyd fought Pacquiao, who did he hire? Even though he badmouthed him and said he was giving Pacquiao drugs, Alex Teresa. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it is, an, as you said, it's an open secret uh, amongst athletes in every sport. Um, I mean, you're, again, another example, you only have to look at the cyclists, see the whole story there, you know, um, with Lance Armstrong and, 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 and everyone in between and what they were doing uh, to see that it, it, everyone knew what everyone else was doing and it's just, you know, part of course. It is. It, it comes down to this question, is it? What price are you willing to pay for success? Yeah, that's bottom line. You see, this it goes back to what I said earlier. Athletes, when they're doping, or when they when they're thinking of doping, they're not thinking of uh, morality. Or I need to play fair, and but they're, all they're thinking of is I need to provide a decent living for myself and my family. And if these substances are going to help me do that, then I'm going to take these substances. That's it. So when someone, you know, and I've heard a few boxers jump on their high horse and be like, oh, yeah, well, I wouldn't do it because, you know, I like to do it properly the right way. And no one gives a damn about that. And doing things the right way is not going to pay your bills. You know, it's not going to pay your bills. So, yeah, you you, you carry on with with, with that attitude because most other athletes who who are in this game are not thinking like that. And, And it's funny because, 
you know, ever since I've been caught, and I still get these 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 questions to this day from from boxers specifically um, when I go into gyms and train because I still train in gyms now. But I get I get a lot of boxers coming up to me, um, well known boxers as well as uh, you know small hall boxers. Um, you know, what do you think I should take, or do you think it's worth me doing it? And 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 some of the some of the some of the well known boxers are well known anti doping uh, anti anti doping advocates. But privately, they're, they're, they're saying to me. I even had one guy who I'll probably tell you off. Well, I will tell you off there when we finish this. I had one guy who I was training uh, in the same gym as, who's very well known in this country. Um, wasn't a world champion, but very well known football world titles. Um, if I could get away with it, I would do it. But I don't feel I can get away with it. So that's the only reason why he didn't he didn't do. And I believe he didn't do. This person in particular, I believe he didn't do. Um, or more than likely he didn't vote, should I say, because I don't I don't hundred percent believe anyone right now. But um yeah, he, 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 he came up to me and he said, If I could get away with it, Larry, I would do it with, with, with that question. I think I, 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 think I, I, I think I know who it is, but we'll speak okay. about it off air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's and then I get other guys, and, and other guys are coming up to me, you know, especially the small hall guys, and they're like, should I do it? Should I do it? And I'm like, look, I can't advise you to do it or to even not do it. I said, you need, you need to make your own decisions. You're, you're, you're an adult. You need to, you need to, you need to, um, you need to see the lay of the land and you need to make an informed decision. And, and that, that's, that's all you can do. You need to make an informed decision. And not listen to to, to to certain rhetoric over here, but at the same time, don't think that you know this. If you take them, that it's going to give you guaranteed uh, success because nothing's guaranteed. You know, it can only aid you, but how much it will aid you, no one knows. You know, so it it comes back to the thing that bodybuilders always say. Bodybuilders will say this, right? They'll go, look. If you took all the drugs away from bodybuilding, mm. Ronnie would still win. Dorian would still win. Flex might win a few. Kevin DeBrody might. Basically, what they were saying was the same people would win because the people you see there aren't necessarily the people who took the most drugs because the drugs are freely available. You can take as much as you want, run yourself into the ground. It's who can train consistently with heavy weight and high intensity the most and yeah. actually yeah. S- steroids can enable that but your genetics will dictate how far you can go with that so ronnie Coleman yeah. would win with or without drugs so is the example lance armstrong would probably have won with or without the drugs mm. and i think people forget this they think the steroids are a shortcut no the steroids are literally from from the way i understand it it's look, I'm doing 100 units of training a month and I'm giving it everything, but my brain tells me I can do more. At that point there, you're probably ready to, you know, dabble. And then you should be able to just fly away from other people. But you're seeing people in the gym now, you know, they're benching 20 each side and they're like, yeah, I could do with some Decker to to build my strength. And you're like, (laughs) you haven't even tapped into what you're capable of. Yeah. And you get a lot of that in boxing. A lot of people in boxing, um, I had a podcast last week where I said it, most boxers are lazy 
and they're looking for a shortcut to get to that world title. They don't want to put work in. Mm. That's why, to be honest, it, it's a sport that I say to people, if you can avoid it, avoid it. Because you're dealing with people who don't really want to work for it. You know, yeah. They're not very self-directed. And I think that's one of the challenges. But we're, just, to, to, just to bring it back for, for the audience. So we're at the point now in your life where, in terms of you now understand doping, you're probably one of the, the more knowledgeable people, probably at the time, probably in sport on on how you do this. And then you step into yeah. the world of boxing. So when you step into the world of boxing, from a PED doping perspective, what do you initially see? So you've got to remember also that by that time, I also have my degree in pharmaceutical chemistry. So you're right. I probably was uh, one of the most knowledgeable people in sport at that time, not just in boxing. Um, so stepping, stepping into the boxing world, even as an amateur, um, I knew what was going on as an amateur. Um, I had I had a com- I remember I had a conversation uh, with uh, a super heavyweight at Repton called Damien Campbell, and I'm going to mention I don't like naming names, but I'm going to name his name because and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, so I remember I had a conversation with with him during a training session where he was like, "How did you get so rich?" And you know me, I just I put in lots of work. I watch my diet, and which isn't which isn't lies. You know, it's true. Um, and then he started coming to me with all these names of all these anabolic steroids. Like, what do you think if I took this and I took that? Now nah, he was one of these lazy guys. He had loads of talent, but one of these really lazy guys. Uh, so I said to him, "Listen, you need to sort out your work ethic first before um, you." you indulge in, in any of this, do you know what I mean? And uh, I, again, I didn't let him know what I was doing, but obviously they all they all suspected, and again, open secret. And I, and if they asked me, I wasn't going to deny it, um, because some people did ask me, and, and, and I told them what, they were, what I was doing. So it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't um, hidden. You know, if people did, did, did come up to me, I, I would say um, in the club. But, um, yeah, so this this particular super heavyweight um, then came up to me with all these names. So obviously, if he's if he, he's obviously done research to come up with all these names, so who's now? I don't know if he doped or not, but who's to say he didn't doped? Because obviously, he asked all these questions. He wanted to know how I got my physique. He um, he's coming up to me with all these names. Obviously, I didn't give him the information that he wanted, but he probably got it somewhere else and probably did his thing. Now, he didn't get anywhere because he turned pro, but didn't do anything. Um, but again, this, this, this just shows how pervasive it was even in the amateur level. So, I, and, and the thing is, coming into boxing as an amateur, I knew a couple of amateurs who dabbled. I wouldn't say they, they were big users, but they did dabble in, in, in performance-enhancing drugs. So, and, and again you had a lot of guys who were cross-training uh, with with athletes in the track and field um, world. So you hear things, you know, you, you see what's happening, you've got the same suppliers, you know who, you know who's using what. So going into the boxing world, even as an amateur, I knew what I had to do. So what, was being, knew... what was being used back then? So it was mainly, mainly anabolic steroids because I think at that, at that point, you were talking about 
uh, when I when I when I came into amateur boxing, we're talking about 2005. Royal Formal was still quite expensive. EPO was still very expensive. Um, so you're looking at your anabolic steroids, basically. Um, your anabolic steroids, and if you had the money, you could indulge in growth hormone. But um, I think EPO. Yeah, because I was going to say it, at that time in rugby, oh five in rugby, you you had your test base with yeah. one other. Now it was normally a hardener because because testosterone gains are quite wet gains. You carry a lot of water. But you need yeah, something that's, that's right. going to dry you out. Like a, I think a trend will probably dry you out. And then you've got, yeah. you had JHRP 6, yeah, JHRP 2, that were being used to give you an additional growth hormone spike. Yeah. Um, later on, you, you then move to something a bit more sensible, like Ipamorelin. Um, I know some guys were on the Semorelin. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you had EPO. And that's, yeah. that was what rugby players were generally talking about. In terms of your training cycle, on game day, everyone was on some form of ephedra supplement. Now, depending, you know, were you, were you on 25 milligrams or 75 milligrams was the only question. But the problem with that, and I'll hold my hand up and say, I've tried ephedrine before and I, I took two 25 mil capsules. I was playing, I had to play two games in one day, which is why I did it. Mm. And... I ran like hell for two games. The problem was I couldn't sleep. And then yeah. people don't realize this. You wake up the next day and you're in bits because your body's not used to recovering from that kind of workload. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't know if you remember also, um, another side effect of it is that, and that they use it now for that, is you didn't feel like you wanted to eat at all. Nah, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, your, app your appetite was just completely gone. And that's why a lot of people use it. I've used it as a diet aid. Um, and in fact, it used to be sold in uh, fat burners as a diet aid until yeah. they banned it. Uh, because obviously a few people were silly and had heart attacks with it. Um, but yeah, it was, it's a very, very good diet aid as well as a performance enhancing drug. I, I remember I, I, I broke a few personal bests in, not only in the gym, but on the track with, with ephedrine. Because you remember, um, I, I tell you where I got it from. Well, how I learned about it. Do you remember Solomon Warisa got done for yes, up your, your gas? gas. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually know. Well, I used to know Solomon quite well. I used to know Solomon, and and and, and, and an interesting postscript. Uh, well, prescript for that story. And I'm very friendly with this guy. And I actually see him now and again, even now, um, in Ilford. But guess who gave? Uh, Solomon, that up your gas. I have no the idea. well-known British athlete, John Regis, Dalton Grant. Remember Dalton Grant, the high jumper. Yeah, <laughs> it came from Dalton. Dalton's a really cool dude, by the way. He's 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 so cool. He's, and I only say that because I think it's quite common knowledge amongst well, amongst athletes anyway that he gave it to Solomon Rory. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's where, that's where it came from. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and I think like I was, I was doing a levels at the time when, when I, when I did the, the ephedrine thing and then mm. 
like that's live with me forever. I'm sure I have a bottle here somewhere. Just in case I ever have to lace the boots on again and I feel tired, I'm like, 50 milligrams, man, we're in. Because, yeah, and, yeah. and, and but this is, it comes back to the point that there are no secrets in this thing, man. It's, it's just about whether you're in something where the stakes are high enough for you to take something. Right. That's, right. that's how I look at it. Like, if I'm just going to play rugby or if I'm just going to, you know, jump in and do four rounds with Dominic Akinladi like the old days, I'm not going to take anything for that because I'm like, I can get through that comfortably. Yeah. But if you tell yeah. me there's 50 grand on the line, I'm like, I can't take any chances. Mindset will change. There you go. And you just proved my point. When it comes to, when it's, and, and this is why this issue is never going away from sport, ever, ever, ever going away. Because money talks. Money talks. Wherever there's money on the line, you're going to get people willing to do whatever it takes to get it. And and, and remember, we, you know, we, we mentioned in the past about people doing it without having money on the line. So if that's the case, think about what other people who have money on the line are doing, you know, and what people who are trying to get to that level are doing. And this is this why it, it kind of does annoy me occasionally when when I think about how people are not really uh, comprehending what's going on, and just you know having their heads in the cloud basically, even despite despite everything that's gone on over the years, you know, and, and all the all the all the different scandals and so on and so forth, you know. And and the, and the thing that frustrates me is. Because I think you know, we've reached an interesting point because I think what you've done now is you've shown that it was there in athletics, it was there in the amateur scene when it comes to boxing. That doesn't surprise me because I see people now when I watch, when I watch amateur bouts, I watch them and I go, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like what I'm used to seeing over three rounds. And you, you see, look, I've had people come in my gym and in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't think you're clean, but yeah. I have to train you because you pay your subscriptions and you're a member of this club and you box for this club. But I'll look and I'll go, I don't think you're clean. And then what happens subsequent to that when they step away from the sport and now, now there's no moral compass or anything like that, then you start to see the weight come on and the, you're like, okay, right, okay, <laughs> there you go. Now you're being who you are. <laughs> Because let's be honest, Larry, if we, if we look back at the people we enjoyed watching box, how many of them failed tests? Holyfield, failed. Roy yeah. Jones Jr., failed. Antonio yeah. Tava, failed. James Tony, yeah. failed. Yeah. Uh, Shane, Shane Mosley. Shane, Shane's an interesting one because I remember Victor Conti doing the video going, no, nah, I showed Shane how to inject EPO. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't believe anything <laughs> Shane says. He did this. And, yeah, and yeah. you know if someone's taking EPO, that's that's the end of the line. That's not even the first oh, yeah. thing they've done. No, no, no. You need to you need to be in the game a while to, to progress to EPO. Yeah, and I, and I, I look at all these guys like you know people forget Vitali. The reason I think I never know if this is an urban legend or not, but the reason Vladimir Klitschko did the Olympics was because Vitali got pinged. Yeah. And that, that's not an urban legend. That's actual. That's actual. That was documented. It's true. That's absolutely true. And this is this is why I I, I um, when people tell me Vladimir's clean, I'm like, really? Well, 
if his brother was using in the Olympics, why would you think he was clean now? And an in, in, interesting, interesting story about Vladimir and, and David Hay and the David Hay fight. I actually did um, some security for David Hay in the uh, press conferences for those fights. Um, to that fight, sorry. Um, so I, I went with him to Germany and the press conference in London. And I had an interest. I heard an interesting conversation between uh, uh, Adam Booth and someone else um, from Vladimir's side. And basically, the the, the 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 gist of it was that there was going to be no testing for that fight. And I and then I questioned Adam on that. I said, "So what? There's no testing?" And he was like, "Any laughs?" And he was like, "No." So make of that what you will. <laughs> wow. Uh- <laughs> Uh, and I don't mind. I don't mind saying that because that is the honest to God truth. That what that's what I heard. I'm not. I'm not saying that David used. I'm not saying that Vladimir used. Uh, although, if you ask me what my opinion is, I'll tell it. I'll, I'll tell you my opinion. But what I'm is, not saying they used for that fight. But what, but what if is you your got a world title fight and there's no drug testing? Yeah, thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people, young boxers look up to, or young fans look up to, or any fan looks up to, a lot of these guys have used, and I am sure, and that, that's, that, I think that list was non-British, so I'm now supposed to believe that the British guys are the ones doing it clean. You know, I, I'm a big Frank Bruno fan, but someone needs to explain to me how he got to 247 pounds. Like because his debut weight was nowhere near two hundred forty-seven pounds, and and Frank yeah. was a big guy back then. Yeah, yeah. And you know the, the, exactly these red flags. And I was, I say to boxing fans, look for the red flags, because exactly Frank was when he retired. He was about seventeen stone ten, seventeen eleven, I reckon. When he, his fighting yeah. weight was, Frank can't yeah. be more than fifteen ten now. Yeah. Now. I've met Lennox, and Lennox boxed at around 245, 250 pounds. Mm. Lennox is still a big guy now. Yeah, he's, right. he's still, he's still. And Lennox is one of the one of the few that if, if if he told me that he didn't use, I could believe it. I could believe him. He, he, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't show any signs of using. Nah, him and Riddick Bow, I just look at and go, I just think you guys were just big men. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, don't get me wrong. If you, if, if, if it turns out subsequently that he did use something, I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah. I, 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 I could believe that Lennox was clean. He's one of the few that I could believe. As, as you said, Loridic Bowl as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, those are two guys that I could definitely believe were clean. Yeah. The other guys yeah. were, where you watch, and it's easy with heavyweights, I think, because you just watch what happens to them when they retire. Like there's some where it's almost like you've just taken the air out of them. Yeah, yeah, but but I also think it's it's because it's interesting that you mentioned about Frank starting weight and what he ended up being, and we all know there's a certain heavyweight that has similar traits to that. Well, I'm not going to mention any names. Feel free to mention if you want. Uh, <laughs> but um, have we discussed yeah, them before? Uh, <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> ah, thank God. Uh, but but. Um, you see, here's the thing, and, and being being a, being a former heavyweight myself, I can attest to this. 
the training that you need to do as a boxer in general and as a heavyweight boxer in particular, in particular is, is 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 so is so um, draining, especially with the cardio that you have to do at, at such a big weight that you will you will tend to lose weight unless you're actively eating in a calorie surplus. Now, if you're eating in a calorie surplus and and you're you're putting on weight despite doing all this training as a heavyweight boxer, your weight is not going to be pure muscle. Your weight is going to be a mixture of muscle and fat. So it's a very suspicious, and I, you can see it from even from my physique when I was boxing. You can see it there. It's very suspicious when heavyweights are able despite the, the huge amount of training they're able to do. I mean, with me, I didn't. no one saw me as an amateur, so it wasn't as clear-cut for me. But there's certain other fighters where they've gone from amateurs, like say they've weighed 220 as an amateur. Yeah. They started off uh, 225 as, as in their pro debut. And despite doing more and more training as they need to do, as they get up, up the levels, they're able to put on not, not not weight that is not just muscle and fat, but pure muscle. That's impossible no, to no. do. Well, maybe it's possible if you were to well, win a gold medal. Maybe, well, maybe, maybe winning a gold medal gives you that, that kind of... It, it unlocks your genetic potential. That's the key. Like, we don't have... None of us yeah, have gold maybe, medals, do we? maybe. Made, and that, now I know you know who I was referring to <laughs> when I mentioned <laughs> about this, the analogy with Frank Bruno. So, yeah, there you go. Now, again, like I said, I know, and you being, being a quite a big guy yourself, you know that it, it's impossible. I mean, the, this is why bodybuilders take um, anabolic steroids during their cutting period to get ready for competition because they know if I if I if I if I um cutting down, I need to hold on to my muscle mass because I'm going to lose muscle mass. Therefore, if I'm eating in a surplus, yet doing all this training and I put on weight, if I'm not taking any 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 anabolic steroids, it's going to be a mixture of muscle and fat, more fat than muscle, in fact. But obviously, if I'm using anabolic agents, it's only going to be muscle because if I'm if I'm doing all this extra training, that's that's burning all the fat. And the, the anabolic steroids are retaining and building my muscle. And, so it, it, you know. and there's another element to this that people ignore. Your skeletal mass seems to determine how much muscle you can put on. So mm-hmm. the working science at the moment seems to be for every pound of skeletal mass you have, you can pack on, they reckon, 2.25 pounds of muscle. Right, or 2.5, yeah. depending on genetics. Yeah, so, yeah. If you've been training your whole life and you've been lifting heavy in an elite environment where you've had the best of everything in preparing yourself for maybe an Olympic tournament, just being theoretical now. If you've been doing that as a super heavyweight and the heaviest they can get you is 104 kilograms, that's probably the limit of your skeletal mass because visually you you don't look like you have big bones. Yeah, You look like you have quite an athletic frame where... You should really be running around around sixteen and a half tops. Right. May, may, you know, that should be so to see someone then drift into the 17, 12, 18s and still look ripped, then you're saying to yourself, okay, 
if I'm to believe this, then maybe your skeletal mass increased. If your skeletal mass mm. increased, what caused it to increase on what is a mature body? I have a question to right. ask. And then I'm like, okay, then what was the trigger point for you to increase your muscle mass? Bearing in mind, in an elite environment, you were training your nuts off at that point there. It just so happened then you really did have random drug testing. So you had to be on your toes. <laughs> you didn't have control over those variables. Whereas once you have yeah. control of those variables, the mass seems to go up. You know, there, yeah. there are questions to ask and I'll leave the fans to make their own opinions on these matters, but it wouldn't be and the just first a, time. Just a touch, just a, sorry, just a touch on, because you mentioned uh, round the clock, uh, random testing. Uh, people are of the opinion that, oh, that's the gold standard. You know, there's no way to get, get around those tests. Um, and I'm here to tell them that, unfortunately, there, well, fortunately or unfortunately, there is a way to get around it. Now, what people don't seem to understand with the, the testing protocol is even though they say round the clock, they have to give you what's called rest time. So between the hours of, uh, I think it's 11, depending on which organization, because there's VADA, there's, you know, UCAD, whatever. Um, depending on the, on the organization, between the hours of 11 p.m. and either 6 a.m. or 7, p, uh, 7 a.m., they can't come for you to test you. So, and the cyclists were the first ones to, um, to, 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 to uh, develop this protocol of microdosing. So, basically, what you would do in that time period was you would take the fast, the very fast acting compounds. So, you're talking about your growth hormones, because that'll be in and out before the morning. You're talking about your testosterone suspension, that'll be in and out before the morning. Um, you can take your IGF, because they still can't test for that. So, there's, there's, so, so that you would take all the fast-acting stuff, even EPO you can take, and that'll be out before the morning. And you, you're able to take this in dosages also that wouldn't show up in a test, most likely, even if they did come within that period of time. So obviously it's not the ideal protocol because obviously you're, you're limited to the amount that you can take and the drugs that you can take because obviously you have to take only fast-acting drugs. So your deckers won't do in this in this scenario, but you can still dope and get some benefit. So if I, for instance, uh, testosterone suspension is in and out of the body within two to three hours. So if I take that at eleven o'clock at night, by the time six o'clock in the morning comes, that's out of my system. They 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 will never be any any, any the wiser. Growth hormone is the same thing. But in fact, growth hormone is in and out. Of the of the system uh, within the hour, within the hour, uh, the same for EPO. Um, they have no test for insulin. Uh, they have no test for IGF. So as you can see, it's, it's you know, and we're not I mean, we're not even including all the designer steroids, i.e., Balco Labs, that can be done. You know, if you've got the right the right chemist and a good amount of money. And, and so, just to follow so, that point, don't I, you find it interesting that Team GB seems to have this this link up with I'm never sure if it, I think it's the University of Sheffield, not the Sheffield Hallam, but they have a link up with their biochemistry department. Oh yeah, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever because any good any good team will and 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 it's always done under the guise of oh yeah we're doing research to to, to make sure 
so we know what the body needs and blah blah blah. Listen, we, we know what the body needs for years ago. Like there's nothing new in this much. What you're doing is making sure you test these guys to make sure I have one, the protocols are going well, and two, to make sure they don't show up dirty in any test. That's that's the bottom line. I that I, I know I know this because I was told by a very prominent um athlete, uh British athlete, that 2012, before the, a few months before the 2012 Olympics, um, I think it was uh, uh, I think it was either UCAD or someone from the anti-doping organization um, came to uh, the elite British athletes and said to them, "Look, you are going to be tested within this period of time, so whatever you're doing." make sure you're clean by this time because obviously as i said to you when a country hosts like la in 84 when they host when a country hosts an olympics they want to make sure they're kicking off in that olympics um and uh that is exactly what uh gb did and in the 2012 olympics as remember, remember barcelona there was that guy fermin cacho he ran did he run the 800 meters yes yes I do remember him. He was he rubbish before. He was rubbish <laughs> after. And in the Olympics, this guy won a gold medal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and over the way he won it as well, he did, came out of nowhere. Literally, the last 50 meters he came out, and if I remember the race correctly, he came out and won it. Yeah, and, you, yeah. and, 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 and everyone was like, I can't believe, who, who is this guy? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but um, it's, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy, and and again, this is why again this this this, this issue is never going to be resolved unless unless they allow, as you said, athletes. I've again, I've see, I, I subscribe to your way of thinking that they should allow athletes to use performance enhancing drugs. But with me, I subscribe to Charlie Francis' um, way of thinking about this. Um, for, for people who don't know, Charles Francis was Ben Johnson's coach and a uh, very smart man. Um, and he, he, he said that, look, the, the, the ethos of the anti-doping organizations all around the world is to A, create a level playing field and to uh, A or B, uh, sorry, <laughs> um, protect the athlete's health. Now, we know that there there is no such thing as a level playing field. There there is no such thing. It's it's a fallacy. I mean, you've got athletes who are more genetically gifted than other athletes. You've got athletes who've got more money than other athletes, so they can afford better equipment, better training facilities, uh, better coaches. So there's no such thing as a level playing field. That's a fallacy. Uh, so if everyone has access to performance enhancing drugs and are allowed to use them that then levels the playing field because also you have individual genetic responses to these drugs, which could be better than others. So again, it levels the playing field. Then if you only allow the athletes to use the hormones that are naturally made by the body, so then you're talking about testosterone, growth hormones, and EPO, that's it. The rest are not allowed because these have a good, clinical safety profile and they're made by the body 
So you then protect the athlete's health because then you can monitor the athlete's health markers. And then what you do then is if their health markers, like, you know, your liver enzymes are too high, you can ban them for that. And then you can make sure that they come back healthy. So that way you protect the athlete's health and you create a more level playing field. I mean, it'll never be level, but it'll be more level if that sort of scenario happens. But I think the risk is the cheating is so efficient and so effective, you're effectively trying to bolt the the, the stable door after the horse is bolted. Like, like I think yeah. the first thing you have to do is you have to sort out the testing. Like, there's no point in saying we're an anti-doping body when so many people are getting away. Yeah. And, and you know, I think we talked we talked about this earlier. The worst, if I'm sat in UCAD, the worst thing that can happen for me is that we catch Joshua doping. Like, I, I would just say to people, listen, I don't bring me that problem, please. Yeah. Do not bring me yeah. that problem because we've only got this much money left for the rest of the year. Okay? Yeah. And I do not want that court case. So, whatever you need to do to make sure that he's clean, you go and do that. And I, I, and I know it sounds, people say, uh, you know, you're just being negative. I only used him because he's probably the most bankable star in boxing. You could, you could yeah. substitute him with Fury, Eubank Jr., Dillian. It doesn't matter to me. I don't want to catch any of these guys because it's just going to be so expensive dealing with them. Well, we only have to see what happened with Dillian's case to, to see that, that that's true. You make enough noise as a lawyer. Well, and contrast it with Liam Cameron's case. Right. Where Liam Cameron was done for recreational drugs and given four years. Yeah. For, 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 for what the experts themselves yeah. said was a tenth of a line. Because he, what he was saying was that he took it inadvertently. So he didn't know that he was taking it. So, and, I could, and, and they said that because of the amount, his, his story is probably plausible. Plausible. But they're still going to ban him anyway. He didn't have lawyers. Had he had someone yeah. who says, do you know yeah. what? I'm going to see this case through till the bitter end. He'd be boxing now. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. I mean, look at, look at the Tyson Fury case. Um, they, they, they were so worried about being bankrupted by Dan Porter Fury that they settled. And they, they had didn't bank want to rights. You know what? Yeah. Everyone laughed at me when I said, like, the, the instant I found out that he had popped for Nandron, I said, this guy's going to serve a shadow ban. They'll make out all, I was like, there'll be all this drama around him. He won't be fighting. He'll be doing this. He'll be doing that. He's just serving a shadow ban. And then yeah. they're all going to shake hands at the end of it and go, right, you can go back and box now. Yeah. Because, like, just some of the messages I received around that situation was, it wasn't a case you could fight and win. You were literally just hoping you could make enough noise that UCAD would just go, oh, we can't be bothered. And yeah. it looks like Dillian's camp learned from that and went, get the lawyers in early, flood UCAD with lawyer letters that come in at 200 quid a pop. Bang, bang, yeah. bang, bang, bang. Until you go, listen, we can't afford this. this need, we need to find a way for it to go away. Yeah. And it, it's sad that, that we're there. But then... Let's go back to Operation Puerto in Spain, right? Mm. When they when they found the the cyclist, the, the doctor in Barcelona, he was in Barcelona, wasn't he? The the doctor, the doping yeah. doctor, and he yeah. had all the blood bags. 
So they raid this guy's practice. They get all these blood bags. And there are a load of cyclists, which we expected. But what mm-hmm. was very strange about that was the first people to go for the injunction were the Real Madrid lawyers and the Barcelona lawyers. Yeah, exactly. Immediately. You cannot publish the names of the samples that were discovered. Even now, mm-hmm. WADA cannot, like, essentially they've gone, right, we've tested them, we know what's in them, we cannot tell you who's got what. Yeah. Because yeah. they always said, nah. This isn't for public consumption. You weren't looking for these footballers. Interesting uh, postscript to that story as well. Guess which tennis star also put an injunction in about that? Which Rafael came out of Nadal. <laughs> that, and have you seen subsequently to that, his performance has dived and his physique has dived as well? Yes, and he's been getting more injuries. Yes. But but don't yeah. forget who his uncle was. His uncle was Miguel Angel Nadal, who was a centre-half for Barcelona. So ah. it, it's not new to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, and, and these are the things people don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about the fact that there's doping in football. And I, we, mm. didn't, we didn't even touch on it in boxing. One of the things that's happened in boxing, actually, is people now just have therapeutic use exemptions. Yeah. That's what's happened. That's, ha- that's where the doping's at now. It's in the TUEs. Yeah. yeah. So that's how a lot of people are getting away with it. Yeah. So, so to be an elite athlete right now, as a male, you need to suffer from hypogonadism. You need blood pressure issues. You need a weak heart. And if you've got asthma, perfect. You also need a low red blood cell count. Ideally, <laughs> these are the things you need to be an elite athlete. Yeah. yeah. Now, 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 pause for a second and remember what the kids at school who had that stuff were like at sport. They were the ones that always got picked off. <laughs> but now they're all champions. It doesn't. It none of this makes it any sense. Compute. It doesn't compute at all. At you know? all. And and so yeah. so so boxing fans don't don't like, you know, I, I sit here and I go, you know, if you just look at like our just our time in the sport. If someone said to me Calzaghi doped, I'd nod my head and go, it, it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me. I can't be definitive yeah. because he never failed a test. It doesn't surprise me. Enzo Macronelli exactly. failed a drugs test and they have yeah. similar styles and a similar high output style. And, yeah. And Joe carried that into his late 30s. Yeah. So I have question marks. Ricky Hatton, like oh. from, from fat to fit, in those timescales. And he'd always say, ah, oh, I just worked super hard. And I'm looking and I'm like, nah. Yeah, I, I, I have no doubt he used. I have no doubt whatsoever that he used. I've heard some stories from very credible people. And uh, yeah, no doubt in my mind that he's used. See, yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised. And he's one of the nation's darlings when it comes to boxing. But I wouldn't be surprised. Him, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised... And I, and I know it means it's good, life's going to get awkward for me at boxing shows, but I, I'll stand by what I say. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. Carl Froch was, you know, yeah, the beneficiary yeah. of some some research chemicals. Um, <laughs> and then the heavyweights, yeah. pick pick whoever you want. The answer is yes, in my opinion. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Because, and you'll know this because you're, you know, being a bigger guy. There's a certain load that you just cannot do in a sustained manner. Your joints won't let you. Yeah. 
the road work, the skipping, the shadow boxing, um, the dipping, slipping, rolling. Like when, you, when you're heavy and you're carrying a lot of muscle, those are very violent movements and you have yeah. to rest. You know, like I've been around big, big guys my whole life in terms of playing rugby. I know what 17, 18, 19 stone guys get like when they run too much or they exert too much right they're not the fittest of people they are not the fittest yeah. of people and after an exertion they need a rest like yeah you know i remember i was at and i'm gonna i'll say it because i was at the harlequins end of season do i got invited because a friend of mine used to play and i remember this and everyone's just drinking their beers and they were just telling stories and there was a story about how one player discovered the other player's vials of growth hormone in the bathroom cabinet. It was a secret cabinet. It wasn't even like the office. Mm. It was a secret cabinet. <laughs> and then that's when you're like, this is everywhere. But UCAD yeah. don't want to catch those people. They don't want to catch a premiership footballer. They don't want to catch anyone that has enough money to cause havoc because they have to live within their means. Yeah. So what they look for uh, let's catch someone where there's a little bit of name recognition. It might be the individual or it might be the club. A little bit of name recognition and it shows we're doing our job. We don't want anyone too big, just someone here. Yeah. Like the one yeah. time they got Linford. They got Linford when he was a coach. Yeah, exactly. When he was, he was semi-retired. Yeah, he, he, he did it. Yeah, exactly. And you're exactly. Like, well, then you're like, why was Linford doping anyway? <laughs> that was my question. I was like, "What?" Yeah, but Linford, 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 and 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 I know this because of the circles I was of, I was in, in 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 when I was in track and field. He he was quite vain because you know he was a quite a big muscular guy. Yeah, and obviously he, he wanted to carry that into 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 retirement. So hence why he would, and he still looks. I mean, he still looks in good shape now. So it wouldn't be surprising if he was still doping that, but obviously that was the reason why he was still doing that at that, at that, at that time. <laughs> so so I, I want to come back to this statement that Hearn got offended by, where you said 90% of pay-per-view boxers are probably doping. Yeah. yeah. Why, why? This guy put on a heavyweight card where I don't think there was anyone clean on there. And, and well, ever... Thank you. So... Thank you. And that was pay per view. That was pay per view. Now you see, this is this is what this is why I laugh when he made. He, I mean, he obviously he obviously thought that would have been the end of it. But even from the people from the comments on Twitter, everyone realised that he was full of shit. Um, you know, because as you just said, he's he's put on. He's talking about oh, pay per view fighters are uh, 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 clean and blah. He's put on a guy who tested positive twice in Povetkin against his golden boy. And now he's going to put him against his, his number two heavyweight. Right? Um, he's, he's, he's put on another guy who's tested positive twice in Lucas Brand um, on pay-per-view um, on, on pay-per-view shows. You know, uh, nu numerous people. He had Jarrell Miller. Everyone and his mother, even Stevie Wonder, knew what Jarrell Miller was doing before he got popped. You can't be that big and throw that many punches around and not beyond anything <laughs> so you know for me Hearn wants deniability but he knows what's going on he had Lewis Ortiz 
you know. Uh, but there, there you go. Another one. Pretty, Another one. So it, it, Kid Galahad. Again, this is, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he, Billy he, Joe. He's down on a... <laughs> you know what I mean? You can reel them off. He's collecting... He, you know what it is? He's, it's like he's collecting dopers, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and again, I ain't got nothing against these people. Uh, you do what you want to do. But if, if if you, as Eddie Hearn, are going to be an anti-doping advocate, but then you're putting on guys who have not only failed the test once, but twice, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you didn't need to be questioned about whether you're really about anti-doping or well, not. Well, you know what I mean? well, no, no. But if you remember when, when Dillian had his issues with UCAD and Hearn would just refuse to talk, and, and my question at the time was very simple because he'd always go, it's a legal matter. And I'd pause and I'd go, wait, it's not a criminal matter because no laws have been broken. Exactly. For it to be a civil matter, he would have to have failed the A and the B sample and he'd have to be banned. Otherwise, there's no legal matter to answer. Someone would have to initiate legal action for it to be a legal matter. No one seems to have initiated any legal action. Therefore, it's not a legal matter, which means, Eddie Hearn, you can talk about it. It yeah. is not under any restrictions. And you see, the fans bought into this because no one asked the question, what legal matter is it? Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I know you've got a background in law because a lot of people conflate what goes on with the anti-doping rules with law and they're completely separate because in this country... You can use performance-enhancing drugs as long as you're not trying to sell them. They are legal for you to possess and use. So, uh, you know, legally, there's no problem. So it can it can be talked about, like as you said, you know. And again, you would know more about this than I do because you have a background in law. Everyone, bro, everyone gets scared because they get letters, right? They get letters that you can't say something, and yeah. The thing yeah. about the letter is the letter is designed to scare you. What you should actually say with the letter is, well, on what basis are you making the statement? Why, why can't I say anything? Oh, uh, well, wh what you've said means that people could reasonably infer the identity of my client. And I'm like, no, you're saying that because you know who the client is and what they've done. The other person over there doesn't necessarily know. So it wouldn't pass that test. And I've had it before where I've just written back going, you have to show me the test that you're applying and you have to show me the instrument that you're relying on. You haven't done any of these things. You can't just send letters intending to intimidate because I will charge you for my time too. And then, like I said, yeah. it just goes quiet because they go, actually, well, I think he knows what he's on about. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because obviously I've been very vocal lately about the deal that you had deal with me when it took my, and I would say illegally because it was my property, my legal property. It took 3,000 D-ball tabs from me um, and at the time, I didn't really think. I just, I just gave up because they said they'll get. They, they signed a contract with me, a consent order that when I retire, I will get those back. So I retired. I asked them for my pills, and they were like, "Oh, we need to find them." Then they were like, "We've lost them." So I said to them, "Well, I need compensation for that." So at the moment, they're refusing to compensate me, which I'm, I am taking legal action over. What were you going to do with when, three thousand D ball tablets? Well, it, this is what I, what I would like to know what what they've done with it. Like, so I I, I have um, so obviously I've been very vocal about this as you've seen on on the Guardian 
newspaper on 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 the uh, the, the barbershop show and obviously on your show. I've been very vocal about what you could have done. Then I get an email a few days ago from their solicitor from Bird and Bird saying, "Well, these matters are confidential, and you signed a confidentiality agreement um, in the, in that contract, so you cannot be saying this stuff." But I've ignored that because at the end of the day, part of that con- confidentiality part of that confidentiality contract states that you have to give me back my stuff. You've broken your side of things, so I've not got any. I, I, I'm not obligated to then fulfill that part of the contract because you've already broken it. So it's the, it's, it's the, the whole thing about, avoid. it's all about primacy of contracts, isn't it? So if you sign an agreement with UK that says, look, I will retire, but you got to give me my, my tablets back. Then they have to do that unless their only defense to that is to go. We had a reasonable suspicion that he was going to take them and then come back and box again. Even even then, that doesn't give them the right to to get rid of them. No. And so, once the contract isn't performed in, to its terms, the confidentiality agreement only covers the nature of the previous agreement. So, right. so you can't have a confidentiality agreement to talk about a contract that was never performed. So you're allowed to talk about it. You just got to dare um, the geniuses at Two Birds to to sue. You can yeah. don't have the budget right now. That Dillian stuff took money out of their pocket. They don't have the money. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. This is, yeah. Well, if worse comes to worse, we'll, we will crowdsource legal brains and we will we'll challenge them because where are the tablets? That's all we want. Is where, where, where are the tablets or where's the compensation? You know, afterwards, yeah. we're going to ask you, Larry, what did you do with the 3,000 tablets? I, I don't even know how long that cycle is. That's like a 10 year cycle. <laughs> Well, you know, they they are five milligram tablets, so it's not like they're they're you know it's not as it's not as as uh, voluminous as it sounds in 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 the terms of cycling. I mean, that, that's a few cycles worth. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. Because another thing I wanted to touch on was I don't know if you ever saw this, but Mia Saint John came out in public. I think this was last year, and she mm. basically said, "Look, I doped." I doped as a female boxer. I doped, and she said yeah. the people in my circle were also doping. I'm not going to name names, but the people in my circle were doping. And I think it just takes a boxing fan with a couple of brain cells to go through her record and see what cards she was on to understand who was in her circle. Mm. The first thing that happens is Steve Buns does an article just shredding her character. Like shredding yeah. a woman who had sixty-five fights. Let's be clear about it: sixty-five professional fights. Think about—you're going to shred a woman who's had that many professional fights. You're going to shred her reputation as a woman and as a boxer, all because British boxing said, "Steve, you've got to circle the wagons." And I remember when yeah. we were discussing this, uh, a guy called Nigel Travis. He's an amateur coach at Manchester. He was trying to convince me there are no drugs in boxing and that's all there is, end of. And I was thinking to myself, I'm sure there are guys in your stable that are on stuff because I've heard things. Yeah. I've heard things and I've been in camp with some of these guys and I'm not convinced that they're clean. But I'm not convinced anyone's clean anymore in any sport. Mm. You know, like we talked about Wade Van Niekerk and like people, people, we need to be honest as fans. And as I say this, I just love watching freaks. Now, I have 
no concern for their health. I have no concern for their well-being. I'm paying a ticket to watch freaks. It's why I can watch powerlifting. It's why I can watch strongman. Because no yeah. one's trying to pretend that they're clean. I'm like, nah, you guys are freaks. Like, <laughs> this isn't natural. But, <laughs> but I'm being entertained, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. You know? And, and so that's the thing. We love watching freaks. I, I want to see a heavyweight champion being 17 stone and ripped. I'm like, yeah, okay. It's like, you know when we used to watch the World Wrestling Federation with the Ultimate Warrior? Exactly. And we were like, exactly. yeah. But you knew That's you couldn't get see. like that. Yeah, I want to see the freak. <laughs> and we all need to be honest as fans and say that. So you were right. 90% of people on pay-per-view doping? I'd say so. You know, let's go through the biggest names in boxing. Canelo. Popped. Yeah. That's, not, that's a matter of fact. There are enough suspicions over Joshua now that it's going to get hard for him to, to go his whole career without, you know, questions still being asked. Right? Yeah. Tyson Fury. It's a matter of public record. Uh, who else is a big name? Dillian White. Popped. There's, we're, we're now not saying there was no Nand. There was Nand alone in him. Which is a strange... <laughs> with all the sophistication well, in It was Debo. It was Debo. Was it? Yeah, it was Debo. Wowzers. <laughs> it was evil. <laughs> yeah. Were they your tablets? Is that where they were? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd have to ask you, Candy Dolphin, about that. <laughs> you'd have to ask them about that, mate. But um... see, but we're going through this list now, and and so you're like, okay, so everyone's popped, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, right, Jesus Christ, <laughs> ain't no stopping us now, is there? <laughs> God, so, and, you know, even the guys in the 90s, if someone told me, and I'm not, I'm not casting this but if someone said to me that collection of middleweights and super middleweights of the 90s were doping, I'd probably believe that too. I'm just so jaded now because of what I've seen and what I know. You know, I remember I got a, I got a text message from, from a girl I know. And she's a rugby player, but she's done a few white-collar fights. And she was, she was basically telling me that she had to go to the doctor because her whole hormone system just collapsed. And she had to go and be honest with the doctor. And she was telling the doctor that she was taking, she was taking Winstrol. She's oh, taking, my God. <laughs> so she's taking Winstrol. I can't remember the dosages, but she's taking Winstrol and she's taking ipamorelin as well, so as a growth hormone peptide. Mm. And so I'm thinking to myself, is this happening in boxing as well on the female side? Because if it is, God help us. Yeah. Because you, you look at some of those physiques, right? And I go, they look like the physiques of the female runners who are popping anyway. Right. So... so and we come back to the whole thing, what we said before. What I see in athletics is normally mirrored in what I see in boxing. Yeah, yeah. So now I look at the female boxers and I'm like, who's actually clean? Because you know there's certain gyms and they'll say to you, look, you're talented, but your strength's low, your stamina's low. And they'll go, well, what do you want me to do about that? I do all the road work I can. It's like, that's not enough. <laughs> and that's when you get the invitation to the dark side, isn't it? Is that, yeah. You have to do something about it. What do you mean? You have to do something about it. Okay, what would you like me to do? 
that's better. And then, <laughs> and then you get given, then you get given your your medicine. You get given your schedule. This is what you have to do and when. And I suspect what happened with Dillian was he got his days wrong. Yeah, that's what yeah. I suspect. You know, he yeah. cho- he just chose the wrong day to eat steak. It happens. <laughs> but but mm. I think. But the, the the female side of doping is the one that worries me because in athletics, I think it's well understood and well managed. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's better understood than sports like rugby and definitely better sport than sports like boxing. Because I wouldn't be mm. surprised if they've got the women on male type, maybe microdose cycles going, yeah, well, it was good enough for him and he's lighter than you, you take it. And I can imagine yeah. that's happening. Yeah. And, 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 and with the influx of uh, female boxers in, in this country now and the fact that it's becoming more popular and more money, you're going to see an inf- influx of, uh, of uh, women, women doping and then women, getting, women probably getting caught as well, um, which uh, I think in the years to come, people are going to see, see, see that more and more. Yeah. And it shouldn't be a surprise because, like we've said... If you're in the right circles, you're almost surprised everyone else doesn't know. Yeah. Because it's so brazen. It is literally like, well, you try this. I've been at a rugby tournament and I've seen a bottle of Anavar drop out of a bag. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. And, and, and poor girl, she, she played rugby for Ireland, actually. And she was like, no, no, I just dropped my supplements. And I was like, no, no, I know what Anavar is, right? <laughs> a little bit more than the supplement. Yeah. Cut the bullshit. Now look me in the eye and just pray that I don't talk to people about this. Because I've seen this with my thing. own eyes. She, pop- she probably thought that you're using, so she probably didn't care. Mate, not with the belly that was hanging out at the time. Mate. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mate, you know, I survived that tournament on just experience. I just put myself in the right places. I was like, there's going to be no running in this tournament. <laughs> live, off, live off experience. Experience, yeah. So, it matters. Just to, you know, because I, 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 think, I think your career is fascinating because you came out of a gym where... If you take a snapshot from 2009, the heavyweights in their gym, everyone's kind of had vastly different careers, right? And I don't want to name names. The, the audience can research for themselves. Of that camp mm-hmm. that you're a heavyweight in, was this knowledge being shared? But you say camp. I was, you mean when I was trained by James Cook? Yeah, so just that, that environment. So not necessarily the camp as in you're all in it together, but, you know, everyone's kind yeah. of around each other. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I, it wasn't. It was, in my in my case, it wasn't. But I think that's only purely because there was no central guy doing the protocols for everyone. I was doing my own thing because obviously I had the knowledge to do that. So I didn't have to involve anyone. So I think purely because of that, not because I think any of the any other guys were clean. I'm not saying they weren't they 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 weren't clean. I'm not saying that they they were dolphins. But I don't know. But what I'm saying is, is that I didn't share any information with them because I just thought it wasn't necessary. Because I'm doing my own thing. I'm using my own knowledge to further myself. But I do, I do know that they, they, they knew. They knew that what I was doing. They knew. I mean, I remember. I remember 
you know, James Cook has been in this sport for years, for years. And I remember him holding the pads for me and he goes, you know, he stopped the pads for a minute and he said, you know what, Larry, do you know that out of all the boxers I've trained, you're the only one that's able to move me backwards when you're hitting these, these pads. And, you know, and he will say certain things like this. And, and then he wants to turn around and say he didn't, he didn't, he didn't know, he didn't have an inkling that what I was doing. That's, that's, yeah, that's hard to believe. And then from your perspective, did you ever offer advice to boxers? So were you, did it, did you ever go, look, if you've got a fight coming up, here's what you want to do. Or were you just like, nah, that's not my thing. Yeah. I'd, see, I always stayed away from offering advice. Um, again, I always told people to make their own mind up because here's the thing with me, because I, because of the knowledge that I have, I have, I have to realize that no, that people might not be as healthy as I am. So therefore they might have health problems in which means that they can't use certain things. Uh, they might have high blood pressure. They can't use Anadrol, for instance, which increases your blood pressure like mad. Um, they, they, they could have liver problems, which again, negate using any oral steroid. Um, they could have, uh, diabetes, which negates them using growth hormone. So I, I, I always stayed away from giving people advice. Um, I'd always tell them to go on, go on the internet and do their research. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of information out there nowadays, um, so I, I always tend to stay, stay clear of that because I never want to put myself in a position where someone hurt themselves and then they went to, and then they could blame me, you know? No, 100%. See, I, no, I get that because cause we've never really had... We, well, I think, I think we've kind of had it on a small scale. So I know in the Northwest, there were certain gurus when it came to stuff like this, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're known. And... A lot of the top boxers from that region use them. And I've heard them interviewed on other podcasts and those questions weren't put to them, but that's okay. And <laughs> I don't know, if, they, I don't know if, they, if you have that kind of knowledge in London, but I know definitely in Yorkshire there are guys who provide that knowledge. And I've, I've heard mud slung at the Ingle camp before. Which you kind of normally say, ah, it's just rumours, but then Kid Galahad failed. So you've got to ask yourself, and Billy Joe did when he was up there as well. So you've got to ask yourself yeah. what's going on up there. I've always thought mm. Wales is, a, is just a drug problem in every sport. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Wales is just, it, it lives by its own rules. Like the, yeah. the stuff that goes on in the valleys is insane. They probably have the best cycles because all they do is dope. Like whether you're well, there's nothing else to do up there. <laughs> <laughs> so they're probably experts, but we've never had these guys like we haven't had a British Heredia yet. We haven't had a British Conte yet. We haven't had a British uh, who's it Ariza, or even if you want to go further back, like a Mackie Shillstone. People forget what Mackie did with Evander. Yeah, with Larry Holmes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holmes, yeah. Evander. They forget what you know, and they forget Evander and Lee Haney were like best friends for a while. Yeah, I have plenty of stories about that, in, in fact. Go on, listen, Pl the floor is yours. Because uh, a good friend of mine, Terry Dunstan, has sparred uh, Evander. In fact, he sparred Evander um, when he was getting ready for Lennox. And, uh, the, and, and it was actually Lee Haney that introduced um, 
Terry to Epidrin. Uh, and that's when I found out for sure about um, uh, Evander using EPO. Because if you remember, there was there was a, there was a thing about Evander having some sort of heart problem, and then all of a sudden that went away because he, he, it wasn't heart problems. He just overdid it with the EPO, and his blood got too thick, so his heart could found it difficult to pump it around. Yeah, because he kind of retired for a bit, then unretired. Yeah, exactly. Just took a break, let the red blood cells clear his system, and he was good to go again. So and then and then there was the whole Evan Fields. Do you remember that whole that whole thing with him? <laughs> Evan Fields, <laughs> yeah. who lived in exactly the same house. Yeah, 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 and had stuff sent to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, we we all we all knew what um, uh, 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 Hollyfield was doing. And in fact, Hollyfield not only did he have Lee Haney, he also had. Um, do you remember Doctor Fred Hatfield? Yeah. Also had him as well on his team. You know, world champion powerlifter. So, so are we? Yeah. yeah, are we surprised when when you? <laughs> but again, this was talked about this, the cross training that that I always talked about. In fact, not only not only he also had Kurt Angle on his team. Just because Terry told me, because um, Terry when Terry used to train with me, he used to um, do a lot of wrestling with me as well. And he got that from Hollyfield's camp. This is why Hollyfield was so strong in a clinch. Wow. Because he he worked with Kurt Angle uh, doing wrestling. And uh, the law, his center of gravity. And yeah, this, this is why he was so strong in the clinch. I mean, you only have to watch him when he was fighting Tyson to, to realize how strong he was in the clinch. And not even that, when he fought both. He was so effective in the clinch. Yeah, um, yeah even though he was a full, smaller guy. So, yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard some stories from Terry about that. About that. <laughs> Where is Terry Dunstan now? Uh, he's he's training. Uh, he's training different clients. I think he trains some people for. Uh, he's some of the footballers for Swansea. I think he's actually the strength and conditioner for for Swansea football team. Uh, and uh, he trains a whole load of uh, private clients in uh, in Guildford. Uh, I forgot the name of the gym. But, um, yeah, he's doing well. He's doing, he's doing, he's doing rap himself. God, I haven't seen him for years. I remember once I showed up at Repton, like, just randomly. I was like, you know, I haven't trained all week. Let me just pop in. And I think he was the only guy my size in the gym. He's like, I oh, would we'll do a few rounds. I didn't even know who Terry Dunstan was at this point. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of people won't know this, but you've got to go back and watch Terry Dunstan fights to understand what I mean when I say this. There was no point in me even throwing punches. Like, I was like, you know, what? I'm, yeah. hit, I'm hitting air right now. That's all. Yeah. My best bet is just to cover up and just wait for the bell, <laughs> right? Let's, let's not be stupid here. And we've all been there with Terry. <laughs> it's there's only there are only two people like big guys where I'm like I'm wasting my time. He's one. Dominic's another. Where I'm like I'm just wasting my time being here. Like, like at least just let me hit you. You know, when you get to that, you're, yeah. like, you're like, what are you getting from this, man? Just let me hit you. At least get some benefit from it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Terry, Terry was one of the most um, talented boxers not to win a world title in this country. Definitely. I mean, a lot of people mention uh, Colonel Lang, and obviously he is one. But I think a lot of people forget about Terry when, 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 they, when, they, when, they, when they mention Colonel 
because uh, and I, I don't dispute that Curtin wasn't that wasn't the most talented boxer to not win a world title, but uh, Ter- Terry's definitely up there. I mean, he, he almost did win a world title. I think I forgot who he fought, but he was winning every single round when he fought for the IBF uh, world title, and he then got then got knocked out in the last round. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, you know. But you see, so it is. And what I love is this exact. I think that Holyfield story exemplifies one of the challenges when boxers get into camp. It's it's the analogy I use is like it's like a terrorist cell, right? Everything happens in the group, mm. and then when that group is done, is it doesn't spread. So whatever doping knowledge is in this group, this group comes back together for every fight, and that's why you see the top guys tend to keep the same people around them. Yeah. Yeah, because exactly. you've got to keep people happy for a start because they can talk. And two, mm-hmm. you want to know that you can just slip straight back into it, right? This is what we have to do. Yeah, I'm comfortable that we've done it before. Bang. Yeah. And I don't think anyone's immune from this. Like, I don't think, you know, the, the greatest boxer of our generation, he's probably there. The number two guy, he probably took something. Um, oh, yeah. The golden yeah. boy probably did. But oh, yeah. all of these guys, are, the heavyweights, most of them probably did. Yeah. And yeah. We're, we're watching a lot of them now, these 40-year-old guys. And, you know, at that age, you can't. Like, you can't fight for 12 rounds. Because, number one, you, you, you can't be bothered. Like, people ignore the psychological effect of, when you've done something for long enough, actually, you get to a point where, like, I really can't be bothered. I imagine Pavekians yeah. like that. And so they have to yeah. get him into a state of mind where he's not like that. And, you know, yeah. pe- people underestimate the uses of drugs like Ritalin among elite athletes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Modafinil is another one. Say again? Modafinil is another one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I remember Kelly White, um, who won the world championship in the 100... And 200, I think 2001, yeah. she got caught with Dr. Modafinil. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no exemption? Yeah. No prescription? Well, she tried, that, that was her excuse, but then they um, they found a whole, the whole, the whole training group was dealt with Modafinil, so that didn't wash. <laughs> all, all this stuff, like, you know, you're riddling drugs, um, the this new whole thing of nootropics, and now what, yeah. if you look where the research is going now, now they're trying to find plant compounds that can give you similar effects to yeah. what the PEDs give you. Mm. So I know there's one that they're trying to get from the tomato skins uh, of green tomatoes called tomatidine, which they believe yeah. might have anabolic effects, mm. but they haven't been able to synthesize enough of it yet to really try. Or, or the holy grail now, the, the myostatin inhibitors. Oh, yeah, the myostatin inhibitors, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. And, and that's where it's all headed now. It's all headed to, let's find new ways of doing it. So people Oh, talking... yeah, oh, but, but, but we know, we know where, um, where the, next, the, the, the next doping um, sort of... Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the next big thing in doping is uh, gene editing. We know that now. We we know that athletes have done it already, but they just can't test for it. But but you also know? but also I think the challenge with that, and my, my knowledge of genetics is limited, 
but it's we may think something codes for say muscle growth but we won't have all the the elements that code for muscle growth so we'll just see okay these seven genes are responsible for muscle growth but it may actually turn out that the trigger for those might be another gene further down the sequence so you just edit it you edit these seven genes and ignore that one and it can cause problems all down the chain so it's you're you're, you're not wrong but as you know yourself athletes are going to do whatever they think is going to help them agreed and and, it's, and it's, and if someone says to them that we can use CRISPR to edit your genome and give you, I don't know, uh, more type 2 muscle fibers so you can be more explosive, um, they're going to do it. They're not even going to think about the consequences or the... And, and, and for me, that, that's where I draw the line. Um, because again, like you just said, we don't know the consequences of this. Um, there's too many variables at play. It's not the same as using a performance-enhancing drug, um, editing your your, your genome. It, it's just not the same. No. Um, so 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 yes, they can't test for it, but the 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 the, the possible negative uh, outcomes are too numerous to even comprehend. It's, and it's a worrying it's a worrying place where we're headed with that. Because I, I simplify things. So I, when it comes to athletes, I always have a two-by-two two box. And one axis is natural capacity and capability, right? Are you naturally fit? Yes or no. And then the other one is just response to training. Right? That's how I measure everyone. So yeah. you will meet people and they're naturally fit, whatever that means. But they can... You know, you, you'll notice being an athlete. You know there are people who can just run barefoot in a pair of shorts yeah. and probably do yeah. 10, 2 in the 100. And you're like, I don't understand how. Yeah, they haven't trained a day in their life, yeah. They can just run. Yeah. And then you, so you get those sorts of people. Now, you also get some people who can't do that. But their response to training is so high, they close that gap in no time at all. Yeah, yeah. What you're really looking for, people who, can, who are naturally fit, naturally capable, who respond highly to training. And then they're mm -hmm. the people that if you are going to have a PED program, you put them on it because that's where yeah. they'll just leave everyone for dead. Yeah. All these other people who are low base level capability and low responders to training are wasting their time. The, the drugs aren't even going to help you. But you see, but there are outliers to that because Ben Johnson was probably an outlier because you've got to remember Ben Johnson before he jumped on the PEDs, was a 10-4 guy. And even though he didn't have a, a drastic improvement of, like over the space of a year or so, he made steady improvements with that until he got to where he got to. Now, if, if you're talking about a 10-4 guy, you would never expect a 10-4 guy, even with drugs, to be able to run 9.79. So there, there are outliers. Although you're right what you're saying, there are outliers genetic outliers because there are some people and I think I'm one of them because um, I've never needed a lot uh, of, of an anabolic steroid to get a massive response and I'm the kind of person that even creatine like I go on creatine people think I'm taking steroids because I, the response I get from creatine is just ridiculous it's not uh, even I even I sometimes like I'm, 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 I'm baffled 
But if, if, I'm, I'm the kind of person that if, if you've got a supplement and you want to know if it works, let me use it because then you will see very quickly <laughs> if, if it works or not. So, you know, I, I think I'm an outlier in that respect. Um, and so, like, well, like I'm saying, you're generally very correct, but there are genetic outliers there where their genetic response to drugs are so that it can even bump them up past the guys who are even more genetic, genetically gifted naturally, you know? Because if you look at, I'll give you an example. If you look at, again, going back to Ben Johnson, if you look at uh, Ben Johnson compared to, say, Carl Lewis, Carl Lewis was naturally the better runner. You could, you could see it in his technique. He was naturally the better runner. Um, he flowed more. Um, you know, his, his transitions were more smoother. But this is why I think uh, Charlie Francis is a genius. He took what Ben Johnson had, which was that explosive start and that quick transition uh, acceleration into his running and just improved on it. And improved, Im- Im- improved, Im- he improved his technique slightly. But what he did was he decided, right, I'm going to improve his power to the point where he's so much more powerful than everyone else. Technique isn't going to matter that much. <laughs> I mean, the guy, I, if you read Speed Traps, the guy was benching 180 kilos. He, and he couldn't have weighed more than 13 stone if that. He was benching 180 kilos. That is, that is ridiculous strength. And, 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 and it's funny because when you watch, I've, I've watched that race even now. When you watch that race and, and um, you see his, sh- his shoulders and, and because, because Charlie Francis had the theory, which turned out to be true in the end, that if you get your shoulders really strong so that they can power your arms uh, very quickly um, while you're sprinting, that will dictate how quick your legs move. Because everyone used to think it was the other way around. And they've done research to show that, yes, that's actually the case. The shoulders dictate how quick your legs move. And if you, if you watch that race and any other race Ben Johnson's been in, you'll see that that's what he concentrates on. And, and that, that was what Charlie Francis fought in. So, you know, the, the, Carlos is naturally the better runner. But I feel like the, 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 the improvements Charlie Francis made to him, plus the drugs, then just moved him up that, that level that Carlos couldn't get to. Even hit with even though he was on drugs. That's mad, isn't it? He... <laughs> no, because I've literally just run that race back in my head to think that we're still seeing guys run nine seventy nine, and Ben Johnson ran nine seventy nine, almost cruising towards the end. Yeah, yeah, and he did that. What? So we're talking about over thirty years ago. Yeah. No, hold on. We're talking over four, almost thirty. No. Yeah, it's about thirty. Yeah, over thirty years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and over thirty years ago, that, that that's nuts. And like you said, cruising, he could have he could have run since um, nine six if he didn't slow down. Look and looking behind, not even for his, he looked behind him with his hand up. That is, it's nuts, and that, that that's for me. That's why he's he's my top sprinter of all time because that run, I mean, the run he did the year before in. Um, in Rome, when he broke the world record, he ran nine eight three. That was phenomenal. But you could see he was motoring all the way to the line. So 
and it's very similar to what Bolt did when he broke it in London. And he was slowing down, looking, looking. He kind of emulated Ben Johnson in that sense. Um, yeah, it, it's just crazy. It's crazy. And it's do you crazy. buy into the Usain Bolt myth? What, that he's clean? Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. And if anyone wants to argue with me about that, feel free. But you have to, yeah, people need to understand that out of the top 10 guys, the top fastest times in the world, he obviously, Usain Bolt's at number one, and he, he's never tested positive. From number two to number 10, they've all tested positive at some point. So either people are trying to tell me that drugs don't work, which you know is bullshit, or Usain Bolt's on something. It's either one of the two. And we know drugs work. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So, you know, people need to get their head out of the clouds, really. And, and listen, that doesn't take... Because, you see, when here's, and I think you, you touched on this earlier, when we say things like this, that's not to take away from the hard work the man's had to do, because drugs or not, he's had to work his ass off. In fact, with drugs, he had to work his ass off even more. So that's not saying he didn't work hard for it. Of course he did. That's the whole point, you know? That's the whole point of taking these drugs. He did work hard. That's not negating his hard work. But he couldn't have worked hard without the false drugs. You can't get the volume in. That, I think that's the thing people don't realise. There's a certain training volume to, to deliver these freakish performances in whatever sport. It can be powerlifting, mm. it can be boxing, it can be football. To deliver at that level, the volume of training you have to put in would yeah. break your body if it was just normal. Yeah. And it's one of the arguments they have for the Tour de France, but they say, look, the Tour de France is so destructive to the human body that doping actually keeps the riders healthier. Yes. Yeah, I... I... There, there, there was a couple of Tour de France guys who said that you, now you need drugs to finish the race. Forget about winning or or or, or, or coming top ten. Or you need drugs to finish the race. That's how brutal the Tour de France is. That's how brutal that 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 competition is. You need drugs to finish the race. That's 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 crazy. And then so that's, so now you're looking at a twelve week camp at world level, on pay-per-view, may I add, now look at the volumes you need for that. You're training two or three times a day. You're sparring God knows how many rounds. Let's say you're doing 100 to 120 rounds. The human body's not designed for that. Exactly. It's not designed for that because if you go back to the old-timers, people go, well, look, look at the old-timers. But the old-timers just pretty much fought, ticked over, fought, ticked over. They didn't have specific camps. Because they were fighting so regularly. Yeah. So actually, those 120 rounds that people do in sparring in camp, they were doing a large part of that just fighting. And so it took the strain yeah. off the body. Because... That's actually true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's why, if you look at American trainers now, American trainers value activity over training. Mm. Because they're like, it's a better way for you to get your rounds. And you don't have to do as many rounds. But you, because I I look at these guys and I I see what guys are doing in camp now. And, you know, I've tried it before. I had some time off. So I shadowed a a former heavyweight champion. And I was like, look, I'm going to do what you do, 
day by day. I got about four days in. I woke up on the fifth day and my body was just like, no, 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 stop. <laughs> and, and, and you're getting those aches and pains you've never had before. So like your hips yeah. hurting, your, you mean your ankles, and so even like you, the bones in your ankles, like the little muscles that stabilize, like, well, well, these pains don't make any sense. And I'm like, someone does this for 12 weeks. I'm like, it's not possible. It's not possible. Yeah. And I'm tired of hearing I'm super fit. I'm just a genetic outlier. No, nah, no, nah. no, no. Even a genetic outlier, we're not, we're not, we're not robots. So you might be able to handle a slight more volume than someone else, but that's only slight. You're still going to feel it, and you're still going to regret if you don't have any um, support via PED. Yeah. And this is this is what I was telling. Because I remember when I. Um, when I first became a pro and um, I was working a full-time job at the time up until I got my Southern area title. And uh, so I would train in the morning before work, then I'd work, then I'd travel two hours to the gym to, to, uh, to do another training session and then go home and then re- rinse, repeat. I, 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 t- I told someone uh, that if I didn't have the drugs, there's no way I could have done those. I, there's no way I could have done that. Six days a week. There's no way I could have done that. Absolutely. To work a full-time shift. I mean, I mean we're talking about bo- some boxers can't do that and they don't even work full-time. They're just boxing. And even with PD, they can't do that. And, 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 and people think I could do that and work in a full-time job? No freaking way. No frigging way. There's no way I could have done that without PEDs. And the, and this is the problem that a lot of boxers who are not at the top level or nowhere near the top level and are just starting out face. Because we all know that very few boxers actually earn a living through this sport. So they're in that dilemma. And again, this goes back to what I was talking about where boxers don't care for the most part about doing things properly, doing things morally. And again, even that's a stupid statement because everyone has different morals. Just because one person has these sort of morals doesn't make them the right morals. That's your morals. Someone else has a different set of, set of morals. That, you, know, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, their, their primary aim is to feed themselves and their families and to do it the best way possible, like to earn as much as possible. So they're going to do what they need to do. And this is why, even to this day, again, when I go to boxing gyms to train, I get it from especially the the, um, the guys that are fighting on the um, non-TV shows who have to sell tickets to, 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 to get a fight and sometimes don't even get paid because they only sell enough tickets to cover their opponent. They ask me what they should do in terms of performance-enhancing drugs. You know, but if you were to talk to these people uh, away from the gym, they'll be like, "No, no, no, we 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 don't believe in performance and drugs." No, no, no. Yeah. But the reality is, they want to further themselves in the sport and earn money, and that is a way of them to do it. So it, they're not, they're not, you know, and, and that's that's why people. It really annoys the shrimp boxers come out with. Oh, I want to do it the proper way. No, that's not. That's not. If 
and, and, and those same boxers, I'm quite sure, nine times out of ten, if they were given, if, if someone came up to them, like if Al Heyman came up to them and said, right, I've got a fight for you, but I want you to use this, this, and this, and I'm going to give you £2 million, they'll, they'll be so quick to jump on that. It's ridiculous. It's all window dressing, isn't it? Let's be brutally yeah. honest. The, the anti-drug yeah. rhetoric's window dressing. When I hear people making noise on social media about drug cheats, it feels like they're protesting a bit too much. Yes. And, you know, I'll hear guys at Bellu talking about, ah, it's disgusting, fucking disgusting. Why would you do that to another <laughs> human being? And they get really moral. And then I look and I go, I know how you were boxing in your mid to late 30s. And I have questions. That's all. I have questions. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I would never judge you negatively for doing it. I just want you to yeah. be truthful with yourself and truthful with your fans. Exactly. I was going to ask you. And it, yeah. Are you sure. are you plugged into anything happening at GB? Because I, we all forget about the Muhammad Ali situation where he failed his drugs test, and and first things first. I, I know from experience, if a kid and Muhammad Ali was either I think he was about twenty at the time. If a kid goes mm. into a gym and says, I want to take steroids, right? Go into a hardcore gym. Everyone in that gym will go, mate, you're going through, you're growing now. Like you're doping now without even taking anything. We wish mm. we were you, right? That's the general fe- That's the general view that people will have. Like, mate, we wish we were you, mm-hmm. right? So they'll say, come back in a couple of years when your body's done all of its growing. Then yeah. Mm. So I was like, if... No one in a hardcore gym would have suggested that. Where did he get this idea? Because I think he fell for Trembolo. Wow. The big boy stuff. (laughs) And the thing about Trent is you don't take it on its own because I think it it would just shut everything down. Yeah. You need to take it with Trent. Yeah. So so, so we know for certain there's a test base. You've got your Trent there. And it's starting to feel a bit like the, the cocktail the Russian guy had in Icarus, isn't it? So now I'm like, Mm. was there some anavar in there as well or did they give him something else but now it's looking very sophisticated it's like you, you were on something that someone's created for you you're at GB four days a week so where are you getting this knowledge from and he was never allowed to speak if you remember he was never allowed mm. to issue a statement yeah and, and then yeah. the thing is what GB should have done at that point which they didn't do you'd have just tested everyone and gone, we want to make sure that the problem's not here. So we're going to test everyone. And we're going to go to the public and say, look, our athletes are clean. They did. They just shut up shop. And it's almost as if it was like, well, this guy nearly ruined it for us. Mm-hmm. And my suspicions were confirmed, Larry. I'll tell you when they were confirmed. It was when, when? someone left the GB setup. I'm trying not to draw too much attention to, to the name. Someone left the GB setup and we're having a brief conversation. I said, why? And it was like, they were asking me to sell my soul. I didn't delve any deeper, but I read into that, that there's a price being asked here that someone's not willing to pay. And it can't mm. be a training thing because I know the work ethic. Yeah. So then I was like, this is all you've dreamt of. Why would you come back? And that, that seemed to be the undercurrent. Like, you know, they're having you take things you shouldn't probably take. Yeah, yeah. That, that is not surprising to me. Um, 
because even though I don't have an insight into the GB setup, I have heard from the grapevine that it's a lot like the uh, the cycling setup. And you've noticed how uh, with just like GB boxing, um, British cycling has gone from not being able to place at the tour to winning the tour back to back in a short space of time, which never happens. Yeah, and we've gone from from literally being rubbish at international mm-hmm. amateur boxing to to suddenly being a powerhouse. Because we had Audley, then we had Amir Khan, and they're one off. Yeah. I, I still believe if Audley boxes an amateur now, he'd probably medal at the Olymp at the Olympics because he was just yeah. designed for that. Yeah. Amir Khan designed for the amateurs and he was designed for that clicking system. Mm. So I can see how they won. I can I can kind of guess how DeGale won, but it was when 2012 hit. Well, for, for that run up to 2012 and then into 2016. And mm. we, we ran away with it. But then what happened? People saw what GB were doing and said, we need to do the same thing. Now all of a sudden that gap's closed again. And it's, yeah. no, it's no coincidence. And it can't just be, oh, if we build a dedicated facility, uh, it's suddenly easy. It's like, no, boxing's a very simple sport. So what's really happening here? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's um it's it's a tried and tested method that, you know, like you said, it it, it, it started with the Soviets, it went gone down to the East Germans, uh the Americans did it and still doing it. Brits are now catching up and now doing it and now the other countries. China was also it's also doing it, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's it's all they're all they're all at it. All, but, and, and, and it just... but you know what's really interesting about China is eighty percent of people from that region have the gene. And I always forget what it's called. It's like a UG eight seven one something. Basically, they don't hold the metabolites from PEDs. No, they don't fail tests. Right. That's so, interesting, and that comes from that. See, this, this is where this whole gene editing thing comes into it, and you know, in a country like China, where anything goes, because if, if the government says, "Right, you're doing this, you're doing it," otherwise, you're in trouble. And we're not talking about we're not even talking about jail. You're going to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, take this, or you're getting shot, and your whole family's getting shot. You're taking it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, and, and you don't yeah. pop for it. They, that's absolutely insane. So, so they're confident 80% of Korean people will never fail a doping test because there are no, the metabolites don't stay around. Because, you know, the normal test is we, we, they don't necessarily find the substance, but they'll find the metabolites. Yeah. So they'll find the signifiers. Yeah. If mm. they're not in your system, you don't fail the test. Yeah, yeah. Well, who, I, the thing is, right, uh, based on 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 the on the knowledge that I have, especially from my degree, a lot of the techniques that you see um, employed in sports, they've already been because um, they have to come from somewhere, right? They've already they already before they come into sports, they've already been tried and tested in the military. So um, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the stuff and techniques that are being used now, they've already, and, and, and a good example of that is uh, Psalms. So uh, I think you're aware of all the Psalms that's going on at the moment. 
you know. Rad 140. Exactly, exactly. Because they they were being tried in the military first. And then and then they came on the scene, I think in Beijing, and everyone took them because they couldn't test for them at the time. Uh, so it's amazing how you see the, the transition from military into into sport and then into the general public because now the general public all about farm. Yeah, because they assume they're risk-free, but we still don't know. Mm. Exactly. They're still, they're still too new. I mean, they're, they're doing, they're doing test, clinical tests on them, but, you know, I mean, if you compare them to anabolic steroids, which have been around since 1950 and have thousands upon thousands of tests on them, they're not, they're not, the safety profile just isn't there uh, with some. So, but people will take them anyway. Yeah, people will take anything for an edge now. It's, 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 yeah. it's absolutely crazy. But look, I'm just conscious that we've done three hours, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could, have done, we could do three more. <laughs> e- easily. But, but I just... I always, like, it's like I said at the beginning, I wanted to do an episode where you can always refer back to it. Yeah. And I think, I think we've done that. I think we've, we've done drugs in boxing better than anyone in this country has done it. Yeah, I know you definitely. on that. I know you on the barbershop thing, and the sense I got from that was they were asking fan type questions. Yeah, not really looking for yeah. the for the layers because there are many layers to this. It's not as simple as you're doping, therefore you're cheating. There's there's a complex journey you have to go through till you get there. Like it's for a lot of people, it's never as easy as yeah, I just took him and I loved it. It's I agonized for a while, but I knew that. If I, if I didn't take them, I wouldn't get to where I wanted to get to. And a lot of people feel bad for doing it. So if you look at female bodybuilders, I find it interesting how short their careers actually are. Mm. Because, like, if you look at the physiques now that are on stage, like, you know that's just no, that's not five milligrams of anovar. That's, that's everything. That's the kitchen sink. Oh, yeah. And there's only so long you can physically do that before mm-hmm. you start to fall apart. So even though you're on stage looking really good, your organs are probably on the brink of failure. And yeah. so and so they all pull back, they come off the gear, and all that weight just goes... And then you have the emotional crash that comes with coming off the gear. Which will be more pronounced in women. Yeah. And yeah. then now you're hoping your reproductive system is just about capable of having a child. If not, that adds to the burden. And it's why I say, look, doping amongst guys, I can kind of go, ah, whatever, man. Boys will be boys. Do what you want to do. For women, yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to say don't do it, but if you don't have a full medical and scientific setup behind you, you're probably going to do irreparable damage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're, talk- if you're talking about the anabolic steroids, 100%, 100%, 100%. You know, I'm, I'm, I am, I, I have to say, I am against women um, athletes uh, using anabolic steroids um, for the, uh, you know, because of what we mentioned earlier about basically, you know, masculizing themselves. I mean, if, if you're happy to turn into a male, that's fine. But I'm guessing 99.9% of women athletes out there are not. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's yeah. It's a situation that 
like we said earlier, is gonna is gonna arise very quickly in female boxers. Yeah, if, if, I think it's there already. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. But I, I think in terms of the effects, the side effects, should I say, um, being caught, I think that's what's gonna arise a lot more now. Yeah. Yeah. But Larry, listen, I really appreciate this. I've enjoyed this. This has been def- definitely the most enjoyable episode I've done because it's, <laughs> I think we've, we've, got, we've got out of it everything that we needed to. I really appreciate your time. Um, for, for those listening, let people know how they can get hold of you if they have any questions. Yeah, uh, so I am on Twitter at Larry Olubamiwal and I am also on Instagram at Larry Olubamiwal. So uh, you can hit me up there, no okay. problem. I need to follow you as well, so I'll, I'll get on that this evening. But really appreciate it. Um, I hope the guys listening to this, I hope this gave you everything you want. I don't think you need another episode on drugs and boxing after this. Larry, once again, mate, really appreciate that. Thank you Larry, very much. no problem. It's a, ple- it's a pleasure. Pleasure. Glad, to, glad I didn't disappoint. <laughs> Definitely not, mate. Definitely not. Nah, thank you. Thank you again. Yeah.